I think we're rolling. Do you want to turn the aircon off? Or are we good? No. no Sorry, no. you got to say I think we're rolling again because that's how you start every one. Well, maybe I can leave it leave, leave it like that because that's the first time I've been interrupted. So, oh. that, yeah, I might leave oh, that in. No, I don't want to ruin it though. <laughs> I'm such a big fan of your work, man. I don't want to. Oh, can we start again? Well, do you want to? Do you want to say it? I want to. Do I? Do you want to say I think we're rolling? Yeah. Can I? Yeah, can you I? can. If for oh, sure. Really? Yeah, man. Oh yep. man. So I think we're rolling. Is that how you say it? I can't do the Kiwi accent so well though. I think I think we're right. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got I got two Kiwis in my band and and they've lost their accents completely. Oh, have they're, they? Oh, right. Total Australians now. Right. You know, and but yours is still thick and strong, man. You've got it going on. I just so I, I think we're on. No, I, that's I can't it. Do it. I'm going to go with that. Close that, enough. That's perfect. Okay. Yeah, awesome. That's perfect. today is Tim Firth. Tim is one of Sydney's most in-demand drummers. He's performed with some of Australia's finest musicians including Emma Pass, James Muller, Mike Nock, James Morrison and has toured extensively throughout Australia, Europe, Asia and Cuba. Tim completed two Bachelor of Music degrees at the Sydney Conservatorium of Music and the University of New South Wales. Tim is known for his musical intuition and highly interactive style, priding himself on giving the music and the band what they need at all times in any musical setting. But it's not just jazz. Tim's a metalhead. He has his own metal band, and he's also into soul, pop, and rock, which has landed him the drum chair for Uncle Jed and Thirsty Merc, to name just a couple. He's also a music educator, a husband, and a father. Sensibility, reliability, confidence, humility mixed with incredible wit and humour makes Tim the ultimate side man. So ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Tim Firth. Tim Firth, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. Thank you, mate. Absolute honour. Honour to be here. What number am I? Do you know what number I am? 80. 80-something. 80 You've done 80-something yeah. of these. Uh, you, uh, you might be 90. 90. Fantastic. If I've made a mistake, hang on, hang on. Um, Doesn't really matter, but you've done so many of these. I think I've heard most of them, if not all of them. Great, man. I've got a bit of catching up to do. I'm on I'm on Zoe Houtman at the moment. Okay, cool. I got it, and then I'll then I'll catch up. That's cool. Yeah. Um yeah, we were talking about a little bit about that before. Um myself when I had the idea to do this podcast, I was I'd been driving to and from gigs. Because that's where I listen to my yep, podcast. Same. You were saying. Yep. And um, since the COVID <clears throat> thing, yeah, I, I, people are not driving to gigs, you know. Yep. Um, yep. So the way things are. And I was I've just been putting it on while I practice a little bit, though. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Just yeah. a little bit in the background, do the rudiments and. Really? Why you, you listening to the podcast? Just a little bit, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I listened to the whole of Emma's one while I was doing my rudiments. Right. You know, but she made me really mad. So I was like, no, I'm joking. <laughs> no, Love my pasky. Yeah, she's yeah. cool, man. Um, I was also saying to you, driving out here tonight, because we're actually in a room together. We are. <clears throat> um, we're Notice social. over the phone stuff, mate. Yeah, we're social yeah. distancing. We're about two metres apart. Yeah. Um, and I said to you when when we walked in here, this is the first time I've left my house at a night time 
since early March, early to mid-March. Feels weird, doesn't it? Weird, man. Feels weird. But good to be out, right? Yeah. Have lots, a couple of beers, have a chat. Yep, lots of traffic on the road. There you go. Well, I was one of those people tonight. You were one of those you know? people. Yeah. At first I'm like, fuck, there's a lot of traffic on the road. <laughs> what are all these people doing out? Yeah. And then I realise I'm, I'm kind of one of them. You're you part know? of them now, mate. Yeah, part of yeah. the problem. Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> all right, what have you been up to during the COVID thing, man? Um, well, not a whole <clears throat> lot of gigs or pretty much zero gigs really, but yep. it, there's been. A, I've been um, helping to – Remote learning the children or homeschool the children. I've got two two littlies, yep. um, which has how, been how, how old are your kids? Seven and five. Seven and five. Yeah, yeah. so they're in year two and kindy. So that was that's yep. been a lot of fun as as well as challenging. Yep. So my wife's also working from home, so I'm trying to while they were at home, I was trying to keep them quiet and learning while she works, does her business and things. So mm. yeah, so that was that was um, fun. Little you know stressful at time especially yeah. my, my little one is in kindy she just wants mm. to run around and play but so what what um what stuff were they giving you homeschooling wise for the kindy kids uh, it was the the kindy stuff was actually pretty good there was there was a fair bit of stuff like uh on the ipad like reading eggs and those ah, sorts okay, of, thing, kind of things yep. but they also had set out um a lot of like good reading things for them to do, a lot of little worksheets. They gave us a big pack of worksheets to take them through and just yep. sort of getting their handwriting down, a little bit of reading and stuff. So that was really cool to, to help help her out with that. Um, yeah, the, the kindy, like teaching Emmy, my the, the, my kindy daughter was definitely more of a challenge mm-hmm. than my son usually. So I can just say, okay, do this and he'll go and do it for the mm. for the next half an hour. He loves loves doing his maths and loves reading and that's cool. You know, but it was good. It was it was a cool time. Very very different time. Like obviously being being home a lot. I'm not not used to being at home all the time. You mm-hmm. know, but it was also it was beautiful. We had a you know had a really good family time as well. You know, yeah, that's it. Yeah, so you got to make got to be positive, right? Got to make totally. the most of it. But totally. no, nah, we we definitely we had a had a really good time. The the four of us, my wife and and two kids. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it was great. And during during that time, um, you were part of. Making a bit of history by being the first band to play oh, the opera house to no audience yeah, yeah, live I guess, stream. Guess with that, yeah, Emma Pask. yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, the gig we did with Emma, um, that was just great, just to see everyone again and yeah, you know, have a have a chance to play, you know. And um, it was weird though, like because we did the gig on the, I think it was on the weekend, I think, and the, all that week I was like, I got to really practice just mm. to make sure that the chops get get back together, you know. Mm. Um, so, but it was just, it was great to play. It felt really weird playing to no one, but you know, when I, when I've got, when I've got Kev, Kevzy on the piano, when I've got stackers on the bass and Emma's out there, nothing feels better. You know, like I I love that band. It's just so much fun. And just that group of people as well to be around is just, you know, some of my best mates, you know, they're just so good to hang out with and some of the most incredible musicians I've ever I've ever played with. Yeah. You know, did, I love those guys. Did you feel the pressure of of it being live and knowing that it's live I and, did, and your yeah. whole audience was the was on the other side of the camera yeah. and nobody in the audience? I did. It was kind of I de- yeah. I definitely felt the pressure. I mean, I, I probably felt more pressure on myself only cuz I hadn't hadn't done a gig in a month, I think, at that point. Right. So I was more just my own sort of playing, but it, it was a weird combination of of like a, it was kind of you had the pressure of a gig but also the pressure of a recording all mixed into one and not playing at all and you're playing in such a huge room like a iconic theatre like like the Joan Sutherland Theatre at the Opera House like and, you know, just everything all boiled into one. It was just I, I was definitely feeling it but I just had such a 
such a great time, you know, and and Pasky just sang her ass off. And yeah, I, I I watched it. It was awesome. It was, it was really good. Cool. It was good. And fun. I think I, I messaged you the next day. You did yeah. yeah yeah. It was really it was, it, went. it was cool. Yeah. Um, just great to do and just great. But it was or even all the Opera House crew, there were so many people there on, on crew and they were just right. excited to see each other as well Yeah, because they hadn't worked either. Yeah. You know, there was even one person there whose only job was was to make sure that we we're all 1.5 metres apart. That was her job. Right. But yeah, so she didn't have many friends. I was just sitting there talking to Phil. Right. And she just said, ah, oh, sorry, guys, you gotta got to move apart. You know, you're too close. I'm like, oh, okay, sorry, sorry. Right. It was, it was a bit weird but, no, that was really, that was fun to do. Yeah, yeah, because that would have been one of the very early live stream events. I think it was the I first think it was one, one the, of the first one. Yeah, like, it was the first one. The Opera House, not did. just the Opera House, but just yeah. I think around that time that it had been shown on mm. on Facebook or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And as we know, it's a it's kind of a it's a common thing now. It's, it's common, it's happening common thing. A lot. Yeah. yeah. No, but it was it was fun to do, and um, I mean, and listening back, we didn't even realize it was actually. We thought it was just a live stream, and then that was it. We didn't know it was going to be up on YouTube for oh, right. all time now. Like they didn't right. they didn't tell us. Right. So, and I think actually Emma even thought that it wasn't going to be. So it was probably a good thing we didn't know that, or she didn't. A little know bit that, more so, relaxed. Yeah, a little bit more relaxed, maybe. But um, no, it was just it was a lot of fun, and you know the guys sounded great, and you know I feel like. I feel like with that band you could put you could put that band in any situation and it'll just feel good. It, you know, even when we're um, recording Emma's album, like recording an album can like well, recording in any studio can be a very stifling kind of I don't know intense experience, nerve wracking experience. And but with that band, it just you always feel like it's just a live gig, even if you're just recording or even if no one's there, right? just purely because of the passion that those three people put into it, Emma, Kev and Phil, they're such right. music, musically passionate people and, right. that, and that's infectious yeah. for me. Like you can just see it on their faces and especially like looking at Kev when he just goes for it, you know, on the piano. He can't yeah. help himself. Yeah. You know, any situation, doesn't matter what it is, he could be doing a horrible function gig and playing a crappy Casio keyboard, wouldn't matter. He will make <laughs> that keyboard sound like a piano because he yeah. just loves loves it that yeah. much. Yeah, it's a it's a very privilege to play in that band. That's for yeah. sure. You talk about the passion of of those three, but um, Emma would say or has said that. I mean, you're just as as passionate about it. Well, I try, yeah. hope so. Try to be, but it's purely it's it's only coming from those guys. Like I, I feel like I'm very much influenced by the people around me, mm. especially when I play, and I just can't. That's how, how it should be, right? Oh, I, th- I think so. Yeah. You know, and yeah. and that's why you know I only really want to be in musical situations that. I mean, you know, make you feel good, you know. Yeah. I mean, obviously sometimes you've got to do things that pay the bills as opposed to stuff. But I feel like I'm so incredibly fortunate to be able to play with some phenomenal musicians who are also some of my closest friends, you know, and and just uh, so, so good at what they do mm-hmm. and it just makes me want to rise to the occasion, you know. And that, that band's a, a, a big uh, a big part of that for right. me because, yeah. So that, that band... Um, you guys recently finished recording Emma's we did, new yeah. album, which is not out yet. No, hopefully yep. soon, but yep. um, probably should have been by now. But you know, everything's yep. changed. Yep. COVID changes everything. Yeah, mm. yeah. But it, yeah, it's a great album. Um, she's put some Emma's put some great songs together, and yeah, I think I think it's completely finished now. We I, I heard the masters last week, so oh, I, cool. I, I think she's finished. Everything she wants to do. Yeah, it's it's tough though. You know, you always listen back and you're, oh, is, is this quite right? And 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 
Emma, I feel, really craves um, input from from us. It's definitely yeah. not like it's not her show. She wants she wants her boys to be happy. Yeah, cool. Which is great. You know, that's why she's almost always band leader of the year is is Pasky. She's <laughs> such a champion. Yeah. Um. So she's she's always back and forth with us. Is this cool? I've changed this in the mix. Are you okay with this? Are you okay with this? It's there's there's no prima donna in in Pask at all. It's mm. like she she wants it to to she wants the four of us to, to be really proud of it. Which is great, you know. That's so, yeah. It's that's awesome. really cool. Before COVID hit, what were you doing, and what did you have coming up that got blown out? That's kind um, of what I've been asking. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, it was actually um, pretty much. It was a lot of touring with Thirsty Merc. Um, it was pretty much. It was pretty solid, really, from I guess October through to March, and it, it was interesting. It was incredibly lucky because the very the very last weekend we had gigs with the Merc, um, I think we had three three that weekend. Like the Merc, we always go out on usually Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay. And we'll do that every weekend from October through to maybe April, something like that. Yep. Um, sometimes Thursdays or, you know, as well, every now and then at Wednesday. Mm-hmm. But the very last weekend that we had was the weekend when everyone just started to go nuts and everything was cancelled the weekend after that. Right. So we cut it, it the tour <laughs> finished just in time. So where none, so nothing of of that tour got cancelled, which was great. So, um, but after that, I, there was yeah. I don't think because I, I mean, the Merc's really the only regular sort of touring band that I play in, and they only usually play during the summer months or around then oh, anyway. Okay. Yep. So there was only like the bits and pieces gigs. Like I, I do, I play at um, Low Three Hundred Two a fair bit in Surrey Hills. Like every Wednesday, I play there would. Um, Carl Dewhurst and Cameron Undy, and we we had that gig at the five oh five beforehand. Mm-hmm. We've been doing that that for every Wednesday for a, a few years now. So mm-hmm. just gigs like that, and then you know low bar on the Sunday, and the odd gig with Emma, and I had a few with um, Caitlin Shadbold, who's a great uh, country country singer. Um, yeah, it all just just gone, you know. So there was no like full on touring or anything that that got canned, but just those sort of one off gigs that you know. Got got canned, but luckily we got to finish the Merc tour, which that's, was which cool. was which was really handy. Yeah, and awesome. perfectly in time. If it was went one weekend <laughs> later, it would have got canned. Right. So yeah, really lucky there. <laughs> right. All right. Well, let's um, you know what we do now? We roll back. Roll it back. Start it all up. Sounds good. Right. Where are you from? Um, well, I was born in born in Taree, which is sort of you know northish New South Wales. You know. Um, but moved, been living in Sydney since I was six, uh, six or seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess I'm a, you know, I'm really a, a Sydney boy. Have you always lived here? Pretty much ever mm-hmm. since, yeah, six years old. I've even just lived in this right area pretty okay. much the whole time. I, um, after, uh, after uni, I spent a bit of time in, in Leichhardt. I lived in Leichhardt for a few years, but just the ride, you know, North Shore area of Sydney is pretty much where I've spent majority of my life. Mm-hmm. And it's a cool area to live in. I, Yep. Love it here, yeah. Yeah, pretty central, eh? Yeah, pretty yep. central, close yep. to the city. Close for to the city, gigs, yep. Not too far from the airport, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, musical family? Um, my mum, yeah, is a beautiful piano player and singer. Um, so we, we grew up, I grew up in the in the church scene, like in the Baptist church scene, and mum would always um, play play piano in church and play at, play at home and sing. And I used to get the, you know, kids drum kit out all the pots and pans or whatever and, and beat on things while she'd play piano at home and we'd, we'd play together. I think I did that since 
from when I was three years old, I think. We used to jam together. Um, Dad, not so much. He, he, I think he played trombone in high school, but that, that's about it. He, and he sings real bad too. Mm. Uh, but mum, yeah, mum played a lot of a lot of piano. Um, she does, doesn't as much anymore, but, um, yeah, there was always music in the house. He'd just sit and dad bought her a beautiful baby grand up in Taree and, and um, yeah, we used to play together and I used to, so I used to hear music all the time at when I go to church on on the Sundays and mm-hmm. um and and when we moved to Sydney was when um we went to Ride Baptist Church just around the corner here and uh, there was a great really good band and a really good uh, drummer that played there um, and he was my first first drum teacher right um, yeah Santino DeMarco was his name and he played he plays drums and played piano as well in the church which is which was great and so. Mum and Dad got him to give me some lessons because he wasn't. I think he was an accountant or something. He wasn't right. a professional musician, but an incredibly musical musical guy. Um, and and thankfully, my parents have always been super supportive of me and what I've wanted to do. So um, as soon as they you know realised that these pots and pans weren't going to be put away in the cupboard anytime soon, we better get him some lessons and. So they hit up Santino, and he he was great because we had the piano at home that Mum used to play. So when when Santino come over and give me lessons, he'd he'd show me a groove or show me what to play, and then he'd sit on the piano and play a song, and we oh, play cool. together, which was awesome. That's great. You know, yeah. Such a good way to learn about playing with other people, you know. And and he used to just love playing "Fly Me to the Moon." Like he teach me to teach me a groove, and then we'd play "Fly Me to the Moon." And what you know, he'd teach me a bossa. We'd he'd mm. play it in that way. He teach me a swinger, how to play a swing groove. He'd play "Fly Me to the Moon" as a swinger, then as a cha cha, then as a funk. You know, <laughs> it was great, man. He was such a beautiful, such a beautiful guy. I, I, I owe a lot to Santino. Yeah, mm. was did he teach you to read at all, or what was just he did? He was yeah. a reader as well. He, he yep. was a reader as well. Yeah, because he played played beautiful piano, and um, yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, I always, I was, you know, I, I talked to reading, kicking and screaming, you know. So, mm. I mean, the one thing my mum always said, I always said to my mum, even from when I was little, I was like, I want, I want to learn the drums, I want to play the drums. And her response was always, well, you have to learn piano first. Yeah, right. So I, so I had piano lessons as well, which I always hated. But now, looking yeah. back, fully appreciate what she was trying to do and just the reading side of things and just learning just that side of the music has been invaluable to mm. to what I've needed later in life. Do you still play a bit of piano now? Um, not really. I use it only just for for writing. writing. It's more just sort of understanding, you know, even just getting my ears used to or knowing what I'm hearing when I hear a certain chord structure or something like that, a certain mm. melody, I, I kind of know what's going on, yep. uh, at least in my head, mm. you know. I co- couldn't play a song on the piano at all. I got you. Yeah. But um, just that grounding that that mum gave me because she gave me lessons first off um, was and and through Santino also being a, a pianist was really helpful get, getting me going and to try and be, I guess, a more musical musical drummer. Mm. Yeah. Um. What was some of the early music you're listening to besides that? Were you listening to just the the stuff from the church? Or? It was pretty much just just that. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't I don't remember a lot of a lot of times when um, like I I couldn't recall a lot of times when music was played in in the house like on records or anything. Okay. And, and I know Mum and Dad were were really into music, and I mean mm-hmm. Dad loved 
I loved all sorts of music, but I, I mainly just remember mum playing the piano and it was always church songs, mm-hmm. you know, and and just those old, you know, those sort of Baptists because they weren't really hymns either. Like they were all in different styles. A lot of them were, you know, pop songs which or rock or anything yeah. that all lend itself to really cool drum grooves. Mm-hmm. And then like after I had a, um, been learning for maybe a year or two with Santino, then I started um playing the drums in church as well and that was um that was a huge experience mm. for me just as so every every sunday or even sometimes twice a sunday i'd be playing in a band playing these songs you know and and with you know rehearsing with the band and i was 10 mm. maybe at the time or 9 mm. um and playing with you know adults and they were just so giving and receptive and helpful of me and cuz often um if i was Playing drums, Santino would be playing piano, you know, so he'd right. be in the band as well, or or we'd rotate the drum chair at church or whatever. Um, so it's mainly just it was a lot of um, so you know the early, I guess, early Keith Green songs or and the early Hillsong stuff. I, I guess back back then, I, I can't remember a lot of the songs now, mm-hmm. um, but I loved it. Just loved playing in in church on the weekend. You know, it was mm. yeah so much fun, and there were just some great musicians at the church of that that time as well some really good bass players and um yeah just loved it and being being 10 years old and be able to play with people was yeah you know, yeah you it's think it's pretty cool at the time but then looking yeah. back it's just like wow yeah so so lucky to have that yeah you know and that that's all mainly down to my mum my getting me into it and santino as well yeah mm. so those those early days seeing that you know pulling out the little pots and pans and drum kits and stuff had you Seen a drummer anywhere? Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. Like one of those I, moments. I, I have. A, I sort of have a, a memory of a. It's weird. I got a recollection of a of a band coming through when I was in Tari. We went to Tari Baptist Church, and I have a recollection of us watching a band play in the hall at the back of the church, and mm. the guy had a big white drum kit. Right. So that's. I think that's my earliest memory. So, and we we left Tari was when I was six. So maybe that mm. I might have been four or something at that time. And I, that's my earliest memory. But um, so that might have been the the influence. But I, there's no drummers in the family anywhere. Mm. You know, I don't I don't know where it came from. But since you know, real young, it just sort of you know, there's there's video footage of me playing. I think at, at three, um, you know, had a, had, a, had a pair of sticks. Or mum and dad used to tell me how on long car trips I'd have I'd get pens out and yeah. hit. The, we had an old tape deck, a uh, tape bag or they had all our cassette tapes and yep. I'd be wailing on it and just ink would go <laughs> flying all through the car, you know. Um, yeah. I, and I have I have memories of doing that, sort of just they'd put a recording on, uh, even just like kids kids songs yeah, yeah. they'd put on and I'd just sort of plot, tap along to them and, and ink would just fly everywhere, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. Luckily they were okay with it. Yeah, yeah. Folks, yeah. Yeah. When, so if you hadn't, so, apart from the, the dude that you'd seen in that, that hall, who was the the first drummer sort of outside your um, sort of the church bubble? Well, yeah, wow. I don't know. I, it was, I was in such a, such a church bubble. Okay. Really. Because, um, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't going out and seeing gigs or anything really like that. So it was really, it was. And still not, still not listening to. No, I'd, I'd, yep. yeah, it was just it was all church music. Like mum and dad had a lot of, you know, church recordings and they'd play that in the car at home. That's probably all, all mm. I knew, really. Mm. Yeah, come to think of it. 
I can't. I, I reckon I only really heard secular music mm-hmm. or non-church music. Gee, probably like early high school, maybe, or like right. even like year five, year six, of, and and then it was it was bands like. Um, I remember when I first heard Red Hot Chili Peppers. That was a that was a big one. Um, that was in so in um, yeah, it was probably late primary school i must have heard it on the radio or something mm. and i was like wow what is what is that and so was that blood sugar six minutes it would have been yeah. blood sugar because that came yeah. out in 91 and i reckon i would have heard yeah so i was still in uh, so I was, I was still in year three then or maybe year four right um yeah so and then i heard chad smith's drumming and he and i just went that's that's incredible yeah you know i'd never heard anything like it um yeah so that album that that Blood Sugar Sex Magic album was was huge for me, and it wasn't wasn't one of the first albums I, I ever got. But it was hearing those songs on the radio because there were a lot of those songs like that "Suck My Kiss" song. <laughs> oh man, what yeah. a groove on that thing! Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I reckon well, it's I, the ca- it's the catches like the all that stuff, all that stuff. Totally, and then the it's great. Like it's brilliant writing. Yeah, like incredible writing. But it's it's funky and it's heavy. It's rock, yeah, funk rock. And I'd never heard. Anything and it's, like it? It's live. It's live and it's, it's recorded incredibly. Yep. I mean, I mean, you've seen that the Funky Monks documentary on yeah. that. Oh, yeah, yeah, up in the house. Yeah, the mansions. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that that album was a big. So Chad Smith was probably a, my my first big sort of drumming influence, I'd say. And so, um, yeah, and then after that, it would have been listening to like Pearl Jam's Ten. Okay. Um, and I can't even I can't even think who the drummer was on that one. It wasn't Dave Abraziz because no. he came in and no, he next came in. With, he came in with the um, it was Versus, I think. He came in with Versus. Is that the name of the album? It's got Animal. It's got Animal on. Yeah, it. yeah. That's, that song's that, that a killer song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so isn't that great? See, we've listened to the same stuff. We have. Yeah, yeah. Are we the same age? I'm 44. Okay, I'm I'm 38. So a bit younger. But but similar. So Fuck you would have heard it. Fuck, I feel old right now. Oh come on, man. I just I found out my my. Daughters, because I'm I'm um, managing my daughter's soccer team. Yeah, I coached it last year, but I'm coaching very stressful, right? Yeah, especially when you're trying to coach your own kid. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, um, so I'm managing the team this year, and I just found out today that the coach, who I thought was similar similar age to me, um, yeah, he's 39. I just feel fucking old today. You hide it, it. You hide it well, mate. You got Come more grey than me. I got a lot of grey. I'm grey yeah. and bald, man. Right. See. Yep. I got, I got nothing. I, I just look, got a few. I look yeah. older. You, you look younger. Right? It's fine. <laughs> Bugger, it's an audio podcast. Embrace it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they can't see. What, yeah, we'll have to take a photo. Or have something. you got no hair as well? <laughs> no, no. I'm, I've, I've been receding for. Oh, that's nothing. Mate. Yeah, I've been receding for about twenty-five years. I reckon. No, nah, nah, you're fine, mate. Yeah, yeah, Matt. Nah. You look way younger than that. I feel all right now. I've got more hair than you. So yeah, exactly. Good. Exactly. And it's not as grey. So. Yeah, don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> I get to thank my 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 dad and my mum's dad for this uh, right lovely shaved head. Right. Yeah. Never mind. It's all good. No, I don't care. Nobody cares. No one. No one cares. <laughs> I really don't. No one cares. Hey, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So yeah. So we're talking about Pearl Jam. I'm just trying to think of the name of the drummer. Yeah, who was the guy on yep. ten? That was the only album he did, I'm pretty sure. Yep. Um, and it wasn't Jack Irons because he came after Dave Abraziz. Yes, right? that's right. Um, I know. We'll have Matt, to Google it. I know Matt Chamberlain. There's the live version of um, Even Flow. Yeah, the Matt Chamberlain's playing. Matt, on. Cham- yeah. Matt Chamberlain's playing on that. Yeah. And um, fuck. 
You're going to Google Let's it? Let's Google it, yeah. I got it. Okay. So I you fo- Google it. Yep. Drama from this – is, this is important stuff. It is important stuff. I should know. It was like I've, well, I, I reckon I listened to it a hundred times. I, I listened to this guy's podcast. That um, have you heard? I hit that podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's great, isn't it? Yeah, there's an episode with not as good as yours. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> not, not as good as yours, man. I <laughs> uh, see. I put in drummer from Pearl Jab Ten, and it says Dave Abrazis. No, that's not right, right. That's not right. I go. No. That's Wikipedia. They don't. He doesn't. They don't know nothing. <laughs> um, okay. Background music lyrics. Personnel. Dave Cruson or Crusson? Oh, Cruson? Yeah, right. Cruson. 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 Yeah. Cruson. Cruson. I should know that. Mm. Yeah. I wonder what he's up to now. What if he quit the band or got fired? It's like, yeah, this band's going nowhere. I'm, I'm out of here. Um, That's making me want to go back and listen to that podcast episode. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, So was there music besides the, the church, the secular music, and then you're starting to get into grunge now? Yeah, it wasn't not really grunge. That that's uh, okay. Well, just, I guess I would not purge. Yeah, see, I, I re- love Pearl Jam, but this, but this is going this is going to be controversial. <laughs> it's really controversial, right? I, I never ever liked Nirvana. Yeah, that, I'm cool with that. You cool with that? Yeah, oh, man. Because I've said that to people, and and they look. It looks like they want to slap me. You know. Yeah. I, I can I I can get why everyone else dug them. You know. And I love Dave Grohl's drumming. Yeah. I like, love it. But yeah. just the songs never resonated with me yep. like a Chili Pepper song or a Pearl Jam song gotcha. or, or something like that. Yep. So because that's why I, I always associate grunge with Nirvana and I was, I was like, no, nah, that's that's not my thing. Right. But it was always, it was such a bit, when I, early high school, that was a big, big grunge time. Like everyone at school yeah. was right into Nirvana. I was like, yeah. I was just like oh, it's, I, don't, I don't get it. Listen, listen, to, listen to Suck My Kiss, check out this yeah, group. Exactly. You know? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, even fly, listen to even flow. Yeah, check like, it out. You know, just just didn't have a lot of. I don't know. I can tell, totally get why everyone else. You know, I don't want to get lynched, but you know, I can totally, <laughs> I can totally get why everyone else digs it. But it was, I never. No, I'm, I'm yeah, with you. I'm with you, hundred percent on was, that. Was never my never my thing. But that um, it was after that or around that time, probably year eight or something, that I first heard Metallica. Okay, and then that was it. Right. Then I was a metalhead. Right. Basically, so that's around. We're getting close to the black album there. It was, yeah. So it was, I I heard, I think it was around the time Load came out. Ah, so okay. it was after, because black album was, was 91. I had this conversation with Phil Stack. We've, I've done a lot of hours in the car with Phil Stack, okay. with Emma and with the Merc. Yep. And we talked about albums albums that came out in 91 and how okay. good they all are. There's so many of them. And we even included Nevermind in that. Right. You know, like Blood Sugar, black album, just that, um, one of the I forget which Soundgarden one came out then. So many iconic albums came out in 1991. Right, um, uh, and that was probably the time when I first really got into, you know, non-church music as right. well. So I think I, I heard the Black album, but it was later, and because Load came out in '96, so I think it was about '94 or '95 that I heard the Black album, and I was like, "This is this is me. This is." This is what just the songs, and purely just the intensity of mm-hmm. it. That's what I loved about it. Like the the, the distorted guitars, mm. you know, the growling vocals, you know, you know those great super gated drums or whatever. Yep. You know, it was something about. I mean, the, probably one of the biggest things I, I love about music, the music that I like, is the intensity of it, and metal music in all its yep. different forms yep. has got has got that. 
mm-hmm. you know, and I remember first hearing it, it wasn't it wasn't in a Sandman. It was it was sad but true. I heard that one, just that slow drop D thing. I was like, wow, mm. this is this is this is me. This is my music. Yeah. And from from then I got into Pantera as well. Yeah, cool man. And I was like, yeah. And I was the only was that not- vocal display of power, or that would have been far beyond driven. That was far beyond driven because yep. I think it was a little later when I got into Pantera, so yep. maybe you know year ten or eleven, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, it was still a bit more sort of Chili Peppers, Pearl Jam then, um, but Metallica was was a big one, and then I got into Pearl Jam a bit later. Yep. And the live one hundred and one proof album that that Pantera did, mm-hmm. I was right into right into that, mm-hmm. um, just because I loved the way. Um, how tight the band was live, you know, yeah. um, which was incredible. And because, yeah. you know, and that big gated snare. Totally. It was oh, and that, huge. That Vinnie Paul, man. Iconic oh. kick drum sound. Yeah. The, 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 the click drum. The click drum. The click yeah. drum. Yeah. Yeah. But he had, he had the, like the barrel. Super the, deep. 24 the, by 24 kicks. Whatever. I think it may have even been deeper than that. Yeah. Hey, the Remo. Jeez. The Remo. The old Remo yeah. gray thing. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. When I heard that, because I, when I got into Metallica, I, I'd go to CD record stores, CD stores, and oh, somehow I found all these bootleg Metallica yeah. live things. Yeah, yeah. There was heaps out I there. I think I had a whole bunch of them. I used to buy them out at Parkley Market. Yeah, totally. Mm. I did the same thing. You know, mm. any sort of Metallica bootleg thing I'd find, I'd, I'd get it. Yeah. But I, I could tell that live wasn't the same, wasn't as tight, you know. Yeah. Um, due to our obviously our good friend, Lars Ulrich, everyone's favorite <laughs> favorite drummer to back. Hey man, I I I love Lars. I mean, I play I played along to Metallica songs yep. you know, hundreds of times. Home from school, I'd put on Sad But True and I'd I'd play it. You know? Yeah, but, but uh, just on Sad But True before yeah. you, you know, the, in the chorus, um, Sad But True, and, yeah. and it does that does that triplet. Da, da, yeah, da, da, but not live, da, da, not live, not you live. Can't, you can't play it no, live. Can't play He's it live. He's got to go. Da, da, That's da, right. Da, 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 That's right. Well, I have a feeling that it was always intended to be just a bar of three. Right. But it was re- uh, not recruit. It was um, Bob, Bob Rock, Rock. Yeah. That said to him, No, no, no. We can't have a bar of three. It's not pop enough. You need to make it a triplet. So we. You know, so it's not an irregular. Yeah, bar. Right. yeah. I reckon they always intended it to be that, and they only ever changed it just for the for the album. Yeah, I think. But you're right; they only ever play. So you know your stuff. Oh yeah, man. I thought I was the only guy ever <laughs> listening to this stuff. No, no man, no, no. we're kindred spirits yeah, bro, right here, for sure. Metalhead as well, for sure. Oh yeah. Oh man, yeah, man. Um, and it just reminds. Just we'll talk a little bit about hair, or yeah, you know, your lack, or lack thereof. thereof. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, when I interviewed, um, you know, Jason Brewer, yeah, sax player, yeah, had him on the show a few weeks into COVID, and um, we were talking about hair, and he used to have a killer mullet, right, right, and um, I was telling him about my mullet, and um, I actually got a photo, I found a photo of his mullet, and I found a photo of my long-haired mullet, and it would have been around. It was actually the year we moved here to Australia, so it was 94. Uh-huh. Right. So that was kind of my – me starting to grow my metal hair. Uh-huh. And then two or three years into being in Australia, yeah, I had a long ponytail down my back. And, yep. Yep. Just there right you go. Metal, man. I'd like to see that photo. Yeah. Any on Facebook? It's actually on my website. Okay. I'll yeah. check it out. Yeah. Um, I can't remember. I, I don't know if I put it on the Instagram or not, but yeah. I have to check out Jason's mullet <laughs> yeah. too. It was killer because you know he's a bit short on the front. Yeah, but he yeah he had the killer. That was a thing back then. Wasn't it, it was, eh? Hey. You know, yeah. They'll come back. Yeah, for sure. I, I think they're coming. back. They're coming back. Um, 
it's one of the guys on the new season of The Voice. Oh yeah, you know he's he's got the mullet going. He's got the killer mullet. Gee, with the sh- with the shaved, it's really? shaved from the front and then it's just mullet. Oh, mullet. Is it, isn't that a oh, what do you call that? Bald mullet or brullet or skullet or something? <laughs> something like that. It's a frying pan, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> skillet. Oh, skillet. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Close, close enough. Close enough. Yeah, That'll yeah. do. That'll do. No, um, I've never had the joy of being able to give myself a mullet. Right. Just, no, it, it went too early. Right. Yeah. So but, the back's gone as well, is it? No, the back's sort of still there, but it's it's sort of grey and really ugly looking. Do right, I give it a you shot? Know, it's anything to take the focus off my face, mate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what were you talking about before I stopped uh, you? Metallica. Yeah. Let's see, metal, mm. Pantera. Yeah. Playing the yeah, playing those songs. What mm. else was it? What were we doing? You was you'd started telling a story and I interrupted you to talk about. Oh, what was I saying? Oh, to talk about yeah, it was Metallica. It was sad but true. Yeah, so yeah. I was, yeah, I used to go home and play play that song. Oh yeah, so all the the bootlegs, the bootlegs, and just I could hear that live Metallica weren't as weren't how they were recorded, but Pantera was. Yeah, you know they had they were just they were solid, on. you know, mm. and I really. Yeah, I love love that. I feel like the especially in listening back to Metallica, for me, Metallica's always is always been about James Hetfield, just like right. he's the, you know, metal godfather basically. Yeah. You know, and I, I've been to see them, you know, a bunch of times live and, you know, I didn't have, didn't have any eyes for Lars. It was all just you know, right. James is he's my my hero. And I don't even know why. There's just something right. about the guy. He's got that that presence and that, you know, yeah, that angry Vibe to him and just his his right hand and what he could do yeah. with those riffs, you know. Yeah, is yeah. I, and something about sing it. Sing like a motherfucker. Exactly, you know? it's incredible. Did you see them? Because you got into them around the load time. Did yeah. You, did you go and see them at the entertainment at, center? I did. Ninety eight. Yeah, I did. I Were you there? there? I was there. There you go. I was on the floor sitting right next to one of the pyros. Oh, really? When they started playing one. Did you get shinged? Fucking shit. The fucking <laughs> shit out of me too, eh? You should have known it was coming. It was if fu- it was one, there was always going to be pyro during one. Mate. Yeah, because they hit the chopper. Yeah, bang. Bang. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. That was probably my first big live gig experience. Right. And I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. Me and a mate of mine. We were up in the nosebleeds. Oh, right. But it was just, I think my ears rang for a week. Yeah, afterwards, yeah. But, oh, it was incredible. I'll never forget it because I remember that whole night. I remember getting stuck in the parking building with my yep. brother, and so we just we went and got wasted and yep. went home in the morning. But um, I remember being underwhelmed. We were on the floor, mm-hmm. so, by the and gig it was or... cool to well, just you probably by the like it was cool to um to see them there and hearing them play, but just yep. a few songs in it was like. Fuck, give me something. Yeah, know? right. Maybe it was just me. It was well, no, no, no. Well, mm. I think that that tour and that out, those albums was such a downer for everyone. Maybe that's what but it was. For, yeah. for me, I've got a soft spot for those albums because that's when I got into it. And they had know? short hair too. They had the short They'd hair, all cut the hair, and, and they did the acoustic set in the middle. That's Do you right. They that? went over to the the other end, which of was the... which was horrible. I'll yeah. give you that. That was terrible. <laughs> Like, yes. And the, I remember the whole time Hetfield was apologising for it. It was like, oh, sorry, we just got to do this sort of acoustic thing oh, now. Right. Yeah, I, just, I remember that. I was like, no, nah, come on, just just, just, just play. Yeah. Really? Just play. And they didn't play the full Master of Puppets. They only played the shortened version. Right. You know? Not cool, man. Yeah. But still, that was that was probably my first big rock gig I ever saw. Right. And I just thought it was the most incredible thing. You know what mine was? What was yours? Meatloaf. 
There you go. Entertainment what, Center. Probably, what year do you remember? Would have been 95 or 96. Wow. Did he sing better than what he did at the AFL Grand Final? Oh, yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> this is when he was on. That's he was when he was on? on? Right. Yep. Uh, he, had his, he had his daughter singing backup vocals. Mm-hmm. She's married to um, Scott Ian Anthrax. Oh, really? There you go. Yeah. Uh, another yeah. Bald, bald metal head. <laughs> yes. Huh? Yeah, they're the, ev- yeah, they're yeah, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's the only rule, look, none of this long hair stuff, Yeah, mate. just yeah. Keep, keep going I'll, that. Keep, I'll keep thinking that. Keep, yeah. keep thinking that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've immortalised it here now. <laughs> That's too, right, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, oh, man, what a great show that was. Yep. And that was a cooking band and mm-hmm. it, was a, it, was a, it was almost like a rock opera. Yep. They had the props, the big blow-up bat. Yeah, bat out of hell. Bat came up and it was just yeah, it was it was unbelievable. Yeah, just, well, that's yeah. one thing the Metallica didn't do, right? They didn't do the full rock props or anything. They kept it pretty simple. It just seemed they? seemed like to me that they were going through the motions. Eh? Yeah, yeah. I imagine that, they probably were. That's probably yeah. yeah it's like yeah, oh, Australia. Probably, who cares? Yeah, you know? wasted as. And, yeah, mm. but then when I saw him again um, on the Death Magnetic tour, um, and I saw him. Were they in the round? Yeah, in the yeah, round. Right. And, and I saw all three nights there. Although oh, I didn't, right. I missed the, they, they did it. And they they came in like September and then they came back again in like November or something. Okay. And they did um, three in a row and I saw all three of those. Wow. Don't, don't tell anyone. No one's listening to this, are they? <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, I paid serious dollars to go see all three and, and that was awesome. I right. just loved it, you know. Mm. That was, um, yeah, and because they do different sets like every night. They got their core songs they have to do, like the five five songs they got to do, the Anna Sandman, Sabbath, True, Nothing yep. Else Matters, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. one, obviously, and Master Puppets. Master they're they're Puppets, the yeah. ones they always do. Yep. And then it, and then it's a different set other than that right. every night. That was, they, they were on. And mm. the sound was great, you know, which is surprising for the round. Yeah. But I was, I was right on the fence. I got there early. I was on the fence. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah, that was... That was cool, but yeah, Metallica. They were they were a big one. Mm. They they got me into the the metal thing. That's for sure. Ian Tyne Maiden, not, not as much. Not really, I I checked it out a bit, mm. um, but it's I found it hard to start a Metallica and then go back to Maiden. If I went okay. the other way, I reckon I probably would have would have loved. And I know Maiden's a huge influence on Metallica. Yeah, but it it didn't have the the big sound that I was after that mm. I felt like Metallica had. Mm. And um, but like great songs. Um, like you know, amazing songs, yeah, like, just and, like incredible, but just was lacking the the power. I gotcha. that I wanted to hear, yeah. Um, and I felt like, the, especially the way Metallica was recorded, recorded in the mid nineties, just I'd never heard albums like that. And especially coming, I mean, listening to that Pearl Jam's Ten, yeah, and, um, which is definitely not a strong sounding album. It's yep. actually quite weak. Mm-hmm. By comparison, like the songs are phenomenal, gotcha. but it's not a huge mix. It's not a great master. Mm-hmm. And but even Blood Sugar Sex Magic, which is recorded amazingly and yeah. sounds beautiful, mm. just the sound that they that they got mm. out of the you know the reload and load albums, I was just went, whoa. Yeah. Like by comparison, you put one up next to the other. Yeah. That just had the sounds. Right. You know? Okay. Gotcha. And so, but then, and that's why even going back and listening to the early Metallica records, like you know Master of Puppets or Ride mm. the Lightning. Mm. While those songs were amazing, because the albums were so shoddily recorded yeah. and mixed, mm. it was I'd never I couldn't get into it as much mm. just because the sound wasn't there that I wanted that sort of visceral, strong, you know, yeah. that sort of pounding in your gut kind of distortion. That's what I that's what I liked about the music. That was the main main part of it. Yeah, yeah. and at least at least those at least with the early um, Metallica, 
mm-hmm. you can hear the bass because Cliff Burton was still alive. He was still there, yeah. So Master Probers, you can hear it clear as clear yeah. as day. But even on Garage Inc., you can or Garage Days, you can hear it. The bass is loud in that one. That was yeah. Jason's first it, album. Jason, yeah. But you know, and then it's not there for justice at just, all. No, no, not there. And, um, it just sounds so weak and closed and yeah. tight. And not too long, a few years ago, somebody, I don't know if they got hold of the copies of some masters or something, but they ended up remixing it. And Jason for all. Jason, yeah, that's what they called oh, it. Saying, yeah, right. Okay, that's what they called yeah, it. Right. Jason for all. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I haven't heard. I got to check it out. Yeah, but imagine it. It surely could only sound better. Yeah, you know. But those songs, though, geez, mm. such good. Yeah. Such good writing, yeah, you know, for sure. For, for metal, you know, metal mm. writing, just yeah, Hetfield and Ulrich, man. yeah, something about it, yeah. That what a team. My first taste of Iron Maiden, my my best mate who became my best man, and 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 I was his best man. Um, I mean, we discovered Pantera together, and then he was into Iron Maiden, and I remember going to his house once, and he had a live at Donington. VHS on yeah, Maiden, right. and there's Nico McBrain with this massive drum kit. Yeah, I think yeah. One of the you can't even see him. No, you know yeah. he's, he's you know, and one of the first shots I see is I'm just going, da, 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 yeah. da, da, and then he's got, and then he's talking to himself. He's he's yeah, he's, yeah. he's singing the fr- the phrases he's playing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you hooks know? from there, right? I'm like, yeah. Why is this guy? I reckon if I would have seen that first, I reckon that would have cinched it. For me, yeah, but I, I I don't think I listened to any Maiden at in high school at all. I right, don't, I, like I might have. I don't even know if I, I knew they existed. Okay, you know, because mm. I mean I didn't really have any friends that was in the same music that I was. There wasn't really anyone that was into metal music, so I was just sort of getting. And I probably only really got into Metallica and Pantera because they were, were on the radio. Yeah, there certainly right. would have been any Maiden played on the radio. Right, you know, and I didn't know what albums to get. You know, yeah, I guess it. I didn't look into it that yep. that hard. It was kind of like I found what I liked and then I went nuts on that. So gotcha. I knew I liked Metallica and Pantera, so I just went crazy gotcha. and just listened to those albums to death and just go home and try and just play along to them. Yeah. You know? See, I had that the moment, like that feeling you had at that Metallica concert. Mm. I had that when Iron Maiden were here four years ago. Yeah, right. It's great. Isn't it? You can album. still get it when, you, you know, when we're old farts, you know. You can Mate, still get I, that feeling. I was a... I fanboyed hard, man. Yeah. When I got there, we went straight to the merch table, bought a hat, yeah. bought the T-shirt. Beautiful. That's right. Yeah, That's man. what you got to do. Yeah, and I just was drinking. I had my mates. My yeah. mates were very, my mates are very, when they go to concerts, they're very, uh, they, they analyse. Right. And, and we were right behind the mixing desk. Yeah. So they're leaning and they're, not me. Yeah, <laughs> you're in, that's the way. Grabbed, found a group of guys and we were just yeah. like, yeah, you yeah. know. It was that's so cool. Yeah. And they, I mean, they're, they're similar to, they, they have their their go to songs that they that they play. They always play at their concerts. Play them, yep. um, but you know, but they basically played the Book of Souls album, right? Which was their new one at the time, and oh, I just loved it. Yeah, great man. Yeah, and I had tickets for them because they they were either would be here now or next month, but they cancelled. You know? That's right, they were coming out. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's that's one band I I'd love to see before they fold or you know. Well, if they if they come back and reschedule, I got to do it. Let's, I'll go. Let's with you. do it. We'll do it. Awesome. It's like them and like Akadaka. This is another band you just got to see. Yeah, right. Before you know, I've well, you won't. Them, you like, won't. Now. No, that's no. that's yeah, yeah. Oh well, I can dream. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to um, 
Oh shit! I just saw your Brady snare drums up there. Sorry, I just got distracted yeah, by oh, your snare drums. Yeah, bit of bit of gear porn right there. Brady snares. Yeah. I sold my Brady. I had a uh, five inch Jarrah block. Oh yeah, beauty. And sold it to buy my podcast oh, yeah? module. Nice. Yeah, probably that's probably you know worth it. Although the Jarrah block, I mean that one's <coughs> that one's Jarrah block. Yeah, that's a five by thirteen. So the one that's a ply, the spotted gum ply. That one, right, right. Yeah, no, they're beautiful drums. Yeah, yeah. But uh, mine was just sitting there, and I like I know the value of them, and I just wanted this thing, and I wasn't playing that much, and I just figured someone else would want it. As yeah. soon as I listed it, it, was gone. Yeah, for the price that I wanted. Yeah, so happy. it's always a way. So no, they're beautiful, beautiful drums. Mm. Yeah, sounds so good. Mm. I love them. Mm. Need another beer, mate. Um, not just yet. Not yet. No. All right. Do you? Yeah. Okay. Grab this one. All right. Let's go. Get a go again. <clears throat> yep. Go on awesome. Thank you. Oh, you got a sugar clock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's crazy. Hang on. <coughs> I do I do have a sugar clock, but I can't I can't put any batteries in it because, like the band itself, it's so loud. I can't record in here. The, ah, the ticking of the thing right. is so loud. So it's basically just up there for show. Right. Yeah, it was it was a weird thing. Mum said for me, I think it was a couple of years ago. She said, "What do you want for Christmas?" And I'd seen this on eBay, and I said, "I right. want him a sugar clock." Yeah, so she got it for me. Right, she's a good she's a good mum. Tell you what, my kids bought me a Fender bass clock. Oh, really? Because I played kids, play yeah. bass. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Fender's spelled like Fendor. Oh, really? Yeah, F E N D O R. It's got the it's the starburst coloured right, right. jazz bass, but it's ah, beautiful. Yeah, they didn't know at the time. You know? Yes. Well, are we are we talking about my sugar already? Because we'll, we'll we'll go. It'll go forever. Ah. Uh, well, I was going to. Uh, are we are we ready to talk about jazz yet, or that's later? Well, we can talk about jazz. Well, because well, where, where we are we sort of... We're at the end of high school, right? Yeah. So okay. we. So getting into into uni, mm. um, I wanted to audition for the con, mm. and I mean, but I still, which is obviously you know the the jazz course. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know anything about jazz at all. Okay. Knew nothing. So why the con then? What? Because um, I knew I wanted to study music and I thought okay. the con was the only way basically. And then I found out about uh, UNSW. Um, they got a, a music course there as well. So I auditioned for the con and I auditioned for Uni of New South Wales. And <clears throat> didn't get in the con because I had absolutely no clue as to what mm. I was doing. Mm. Um, but got into UNSW purely because if you got a half decent, you know, HSC mark, you got in. Right. So so got in there, um, and it was a very, it was a it was a great time. I made a lot of great mates as well. Um, it was a it was a tough course because it was a very much a theory based course, yeah. and very much on the classical. Uh, elements of music. So, were you an academic type student at school? I kind kind of. I was okay. okay. Not not like smart like my wife is. She's okay. she's like you know ninety nine point nine type mm-hmm. person. I was nowhere near that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was definitely you know music was up here. I was, I, was right. I knew I was good at that, and everything else I was kind of okay. I got through fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so so getting into UNSW, um, they had a I guess a very small performance element a lot of it was theory but the performance element was a like a jazz um class run by alistair spence um do you know alistair great piano player and um great educator and a phenomenal phenomenal guy and through like i i vividly remember the first class that i the first jazz class 
and I wasn't playing at the time. I was just listening. There was another drummer playing. And I, and I thought, oh, okay, so they're making it up as they go along. That's what this jazz thing is. See, I had no idea, <laughs> absolutely no clue. Um, and I even, you know, I went through high school music, HSC music, and I still didn't twig what jazz was all about. Mm. Um, but that first class I started to, to figure it out. But the other thing I figured out is that I hated it and I hated the sound of it and I hated playing it, mm. which is, might sound kind of weird now considering what I've done the last Yep. Ever so quite quite a few years, but um, but the good thing about the great thing about Alistair was that he was so supportive, and and I was also I I, I guess I kind of knew that this was going to help. I just want to be a rock guy, you know. I want to be a rock drummer. I hated jazz, mm. but I knew I had to study to, on a tertiary level. It was a great way to meet other musicians, which I did. Um, so I was like, okay, I better do this jazz thing, play this jazz thing. So I sort of learned a bit how to do it. Um, I was getting lessons off uh, Andrew Massey at the time. He's a great, great drummer, great um, all-round drummer, but a really good jazz drummer as well. And we studied a lot of um, jazz, the great jazz drummers, but it just it didn't resonate. I didn't get it. Mm. Um, and not only did I didn't didn't get it, I outwardly detested it. Right. You know, just just hated it. But I, I just liked playing the drums, so I guess it didn't matter. You know what I play. So when you say outwardly, out, outwardly detested it, were you like, would you rock up your list and go, oh fuck, uh, what is this? Oh, a, li- a little, seriously? Bit, no, because well, I, uh, not so much in the classes because I loved Alistair and I really respected him. Right. Um, but it's just you know I never listened to it. I never ever practiced. Right. You know all I wanted to do was just be a rock guy in a great rock band. You <laughs> right. Know? Um. So and just playing jazz was just well, I was just lame and it felt horrible. Um. Yeah, just never wanted, never wanted to to do it. Um. So and that was the first two years of because that was a three year bachelor of music degree. So the first two years I was playing jazz and not liking it mm. at all. Mm. But then by the third year, something kind of clicked. Um. And I remember there were a couple of things that happened. But one one big moment was was Alistair brought in. Alistair was great. He'd always bring in a recording. It wasn't just sort of lecturing us or just, okay, get up, let's learn this song, let's play it together. He'd bring recordings and say, check this out. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? And the whole time, you know, the previous two years I was, you know, there, arms crossed going, oh, this is boring, this sounds mm. sounds crap, or I listen to Metallica, <laughs> you know. Um, but then one one day he he brought, um, the album he brought was Keith Jarrett's trio, Whisper Not, with Jack Dejanet on drums. And something about that, when he played it, it just something clicked and I just went, wow, that's some incredible, incredible drumming. Mm. Like, and it wasn't even so much the music that resonated with me at that point, it was the drumming. Right. Because I feel like I always felt like I've just loved really good drummers, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and when I heard Jack DeJanette play with this band, like he was doing stuff on the hi-hat, I didn't know I was allowed. I thought my hi-hat had to stay on two and four when I played jazz. I didn't know right. I could do all this other stuff with it. Right. Um, and it really sort of opened my eyes and 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 blew my mind and then I started buying jazz records like I started to check out a lot more Keith Jarrett stuff like the Tokyo 96 album was a big one for me that I really really got into and of course the like his the standards albums he did in the early 80s I really I got into those as well mm. um so that was that was a, a big point that got that at least opened my eyes to it you know mm. Like uh, thinking back now at how I spurned the music or how much I, you know, I just thought that it was just no good. I thought mm. that these drummers were no good, you know. Mm. Just just shows how oblivious I was <laughs> or just how blindsided I was, right. 
you know, and how foolish I was thinking that, you know, you know, I heard, I heard kind of blue a bunch of times. I heard Jimmy Cobb playing on there. I was like, he's not doing nothing. Like it's just sitting there going ting, 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 ting. Who cares about that? You know, and thinking back, I'm like, you idiot. Like, I just <laughs> but because I just didn't get it, you know, yeah, yeah. and it took a couple of years for me to to, to get it. And it was that it was that album that that really helped that Whisper Not album. So that was the first main thing. And the second main thing that really got me into jazz was um, the mates I was hanging out with. Um, a really great mate of mine, Mark Palmer's his name. He, he lives in New York now. Great piano player and singer. Um, we we did a lot of gigs together. He, he's had a band called the Hipstones. Really good funk band. Great. He's a great writer. Mm-hmm. Um, great songwriter. Um, and uh, the Hipstones band came later, but. He he got him and a and another a great singer named Carly Bruce. Um, they got me into going and checking out gigs. And the big the main one was was going to the Wine Bank Jam Session. The Wine Bank's not there anymore. It's called something else uh, in the city. Did you ever go to the Wine Bank Jam back in the day? It was, it was on Elizabeth Street, near, right near Martin Place. Mm. And it was a jam session that started. It was on every Friday. Started at midnight. Went to to about two three a.m. Mm. Um, and and Jonathan Swartz ran the jam, and and every month there was a different house band. They used to used to set up the jam, and and I I, used, I started going to that, and I and I finally realised how good these drummers were that played played jazz, and then at that point I was hooked, mm-hmm. and it, and it's still and while I, I started to really get into the music. And I realised that, you know, that intensity that I loved out of metal music, I heard it in jazz now when I heard it live because I'd never heard it live. I'd only heard it on recordings, like old school, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s recordings. Yeah, one mic. One mic. It just didn't have the vibe, didn't have the presence. I'm like, that's no no good. That kind of blue. What are you talking about? That's that's nothing. That's, you know, there's there's nothing doing there, you know. But then I heard these guys play live and I was like, wow, this is is something else. Um, So I heard... Uh, that's when I first heard like Dave Goodman play. I heard Evan Manuel play. I heard uh, Hamish Stewart. I heard Nick McBride, Andrew Dickerson, um, and uh, Felix Bloxham, Dave Hibbard. Felix Bloxham was probably. Do you know heard Felix at all? I've heard of him. Lives yeah. in Melbourne now. Yep. His his drumming blew blew my mind. I want I mm. wanted to be Felix basically after right. I heard him heard him play. Right. And it was all down to this wine, the Wine Bank Jam session. And I never I I didn't. Sitting in at the jams at all for the – I think I went to the jam most Fridays for two years before I got got up the courage to actually jam mm. with the guys. And, uh, yeah, so I owe a lot of thanks to Jonathan for putting that jam together. And, and the piano players, it was, it was Matt McMahon, it was Mark Isaacs, it was, mm. you know, just phenomenal, phenomenal musicians. And all the jammers, the horn players that had sit in, all the singers, Jade McRae had come down and sing – and, and just it'd just be wall to wall musicians, and I, mm. I just used to I I finally felt the power of that of that music, the intensity of it, because I heard it live, and and I saw the incredible musicianship, and and that's what I think finally drew me to the music as well was how good you have to be at your craft to play this music and to play it well. Right. I finally got it, you know. Right. Just listening to Jimmy Cobb going ting, 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 ting on Kind of Blue, I was like, he's not doing it. I can do that. Give me a break. I could be on Kind of Blue, you know. That was my mindset, Yeah, gotcha. which is so ridiculous in hindsight. Mm. So now I listen to Jimmy Cobb play and I just think that that ride cymbal beat mm. 
is just the strongest, most beautiful, most dancing thing I think I've ever heard, you know. I just didn't hear that back then. Mm. I was just so naive, mm. so in my own little world. But hearing that Keith Jarrett trailer that Alistair showed us and then checking out that that jam session, mm. that was a that was a cinch. That that got me into it. And then I think, okay, this is my final year at at UNSW, I've realized I don't know anything and I've completely wasted my time here. I've right. come out with a batch of music. Great. Right. I got I can't do anything with it, obviously, but I got a batch of music, but I need to do something else. So at that in my third year, or maybe it was even halfway through my third year, I started to practice. Right. And I was I had a real jazz focus. And I because and I was like, I want to play this music. I want to be like those guys. I'm going to start practicing and I'm going to audition for the con. Did you have a teacher? Um, at that point in third year, no, no, I didn't. I was doing it all on my own, mm-hmm. but I had, I had a one-off lesson with Andrew Dickerson, um, cause I knew I wanted to audition for the con and he was, the, he's the teacher there. And if mm-hmm. anyone wants to audition for the con, they, you, you go to Andrew and you, he'll tell you what you need to do for mm-hmm. your audition. So mm-hmm. I did that and I had a couple of lessons with Simon Barker, which was uh, really helpful. Um, they just, they both got me on the right path as like what I needed. Um, to really practice because mm. um, my jazz playing was seriously, seriously lacking because um, I didn't get it, you know, but I felt mm. like I was starting to understand what was so the importance of having the most grooviest, swinginest ride cymbal beat you possibly could, you know, understanding now that, you know, the way Jimmy Cobb played the ride cymbal was just so mm. incredibly beautiful. I think my ears were starting to open mm. basically and and Dicko and, and Simon sort of helped me um, figure out what I needed to practice, what I needed to listen to to get into that. So who were they putting you on to listen to? Um, uh, Dicko was a, was a lot of Philly Joel, a lot of Art Taylor mm-hmm. um, albums. So there's the stuff with, with Miles as well but also the stuff with Coltrane, stuff I hadn't actually checked out yet. Um mm. Um, so that was Dicko was great on on what to listen to. Mm. Um, Simon was great for what to practice, which okay. was which was really good. And mainly just the four way independence thing, mm. getting making sure that you could do anything with your bass drum, with your snare, with your hi hat. While when you played your ride cymbal, it didn't move, it didn't change. You had the the grooviest swinginess groove you could possibly have on your ride, mm. while the your other limbs could do anything. Mm. If you if you if you played something on your snare and that changed your ride cymbal groove, that's it. That's it. Groove gotcha. gone. Yeah. You know, it's 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 over mm. basically. Did you did you have did you find yourself picking up that stuff fairly easily, or did you really have to? Um, I th- I, th- really I had to, to work at it. I had to work at it, um, especially the independence thing with my left foot with the hi hat, trying to get into that kind of that Keith mm. uh, the the um. Jack DeJanet kind of hi-hat stuff that I've loved. Mm. Found that very difficult. Mm. Um, but also what I found hard was the way the drum kit should sound when you play jazz, you know. Um, like for me, every, everyone's got a different different opinion, but mm. um, I feel like when it comes to playing jazz, the ride cymbal is the focal point of the drum kit, you mm-hmm. know. It's the ride cymbal and the bass. Um, and uh, and what they do together is the foundation of the whole band. Right. Um, whereas me being a rock guy, I was a total rock pig. All I wanted to do was be in a rock band. The, the kick drum was the focal point, um, I, I felt, 
for for that mm. um, for that kind of music. And so I and so I was trying to bring that kind of sound to jazz. I was playing the kick drum way too loud, mm. and everything I was doing with my snare and my bass drum was overshadowing the ride. You know, right. but it took Dicko and it took Simon to make me realize the importance of the ride symbol. Everything's got to sit under the ride. If the mm. band can't hear your beat, your ride symbol beat, um, then they're not gonna you know, you're not going to help them solo. You're not going to help them groove, mm. you know. So I just, that made me realise the importance of of the ride. Like I just, I, I I learned at that point that I had to get this ride symbol right. I had to get this symbol beat right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I found the drummers like, it was drummers like Lewis Hayes, Kenny Clark, um, Shadow Wilson, Jimmy Cobb, their ride symbol beats I just tried to copy. I just wanted a copy because I love the way they made me feel when I heard yep, them, yep. Um, especially Lewis Lewis Hayes's ride cymbal beat, like stuff he did with Cannonball, and um, <clears throat> just trying to copy that ride cymbal beat, trying to get the same feeling, and just trying to realize that that was primary. Mm. Everything else I did with my other limbs was completely secondary. Mm. Like while I tried to work on the independence, um, it was purely so that my ride could. So I could play anything while my ride didn't move. I still had that sound and that groove that I was looking for. During that time when you're trying to work all that stuff out, were you playing in any rock situations? Um, a, li- a little bit. Mm. Um, I started, that's when um, Mark Palmer started the, the Hip Stones. I was playing with him and Victor Rounds was on bass for that. Right. So that was more of a funk a funk sort of thing. Right. Um, and I had, like in my early uni days, I was playing with a rock band back then, playing original mm. music um, with that band. The reason I asked that is because you're, you, you know, you've gone from your rock sensibility with that heavy, heavy mm-hmm. right foot. Mm-hmm. Now you're getting taught to, <clears throat> you know, to focus on your ride. On the ride, yep. On a Friday and then going to play a rock gig on a Friday yeah. night. So did you find that transition between the two? I, I guess being the rock guy to start with, it's pretty easy to just to go back to that lead foot, yeah? Yeah, I, mm. I, I guess so. Although mm. I found I did find that when I was practising super, super hard, like I was trying to put in as many hours as possible mm. on the jazz thing, I felt like my rock playing, at least my rock bass drum stuff was was suffering. I couldn't didn't have the same power, didn't have the same um, accuracy. Yep. I felt like I was losing, losing a bit of that. Right. And and also because I was always a heel up player, and oh, right. when I went into jazz, I went to heel down, and then right. I couldn't play heel up anymore. So Were you I always a? Did, I, I was watching a bit of your playing the other day, and you're kind of you're beater off. Beater off, yeah. Have you always played like that when you're playing rock? Or um, that something no, you had to... it, it changes. Yep. It, it changes. I try to be I try to be a beater off guy as, as much as possible, but yep. sometimes it just feels Hang on. so. We're <laughs> gonna have to explain this because beater off. All yeah, you're hearing sounds is a bit beater, gross, doesn't a, it? Yeah, the yeah, beater off guy. I'm not a beater off guy. <laughs> I'm a beater on guy. Come on, oh, come on. So mate. for the I've heard, I've heard you beater off all the time. <laughs> so what we're talking about is the kick drum beater. Um, I'm just explaining this for yes. the people that don't know. Please do. Um, basically, he's do, not talking about masturbation <laughs> at that. all. No. Nah. So with a kick drum, you play your your beat. Your foot goes down on the pedal. The beater hits the head or the or the skin. The beater either stays in there until you do your next beat, yep. or you you play that beat on the bass drum, and then the beater comes off until you play the next 
That's right. Pete, how was that? That's perfect. Right. Perfect. So I do that. I'm beater off for jazz and beater on for rock, right. basically. <laughs> Wonder how many people are going. What are you, yeah, what are you talking, talking about? about? Shut beat up. Beater off. Who, who fucking kids. Fucking drummers. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. We haven't even started on paradiddles and flamadiddles <laughs> yet. We'll get to that. Yeah. Might need another beer for that though. Yes. Before we get to flamadiddles. <laughs> um. So yeah. So I guess the when I was practicing a lot of jazz, I felt mm. like my rock playing, I guess, was suffering a little. Okay. A little bit. Right. So it was um, the other way. just the right. bass drum. Okay. Right. Because I wasn't practicing it at, at all. Right. You know, but I, I had a real jazz focus right. then, like third year at uni and then then when I got in at UNSW and then getting into the con, I was just a mega, mega jazz head. I had a right. complete turnaround in a short amount of time. Right. Because I genuinely started to love the music and wanted to, play like these drummers that I'd heard. Mm. and But it really was the live situation, hearing it in a live setting. Mm. So I started to go to, the, you know, the jazz groove thing at Excelsior, I started to go to SEMA and hear all those gigs and hear some incredible artists, started to go to the, the Sidon Cafe and and hear a lot of great, a lot of great bands mm. um, and that's what really, really got me into the, into the jazz thing. Mm. Okay, so heads right into the jazz now. Were you going to these? Were they go, they jam nights, or were you just going to nights just to watch these these the, players playing? Oh uh, well, the the wine bank was always a, the wine a jam bank, apart night, from the wine bank, yeah. But all the other nights were proper proper gigs. So gigs, I was right. I was because the best thing about well, one of the best things about going to the wine bank is because they had a different house band every week, mm. um, different musicians, and they're always different jammers. And because it started at midnight, guys would come after their after gigs. gigs. Yeah, gotcha. And so I by that I. I Learned who the cats were, who all the best right. musos were, and who right. who my favourite drummers were, and then mm. basically because this was back when um, you could find gig listings in the Sydney Morning Herald, yeah, um, and jazz listings, and they would list the personnel who was playing. Oh right, and I just I'd look in the paper and go, okay, Felix is at SEMA on Friday night. I'm yeah, here, right. you know, right. Well, he's he's playing with Muller's Tree, and like James Muller's Tree was like my favouritest band in the universe, right. At that time, so I was like, I've, I'd follow Felix around town, basically. Mm. I mean, I loved all those guys, like especially like Felix and Evan and um, and Dicko and all those guys. I just loved them. They were all so different, you know, mm. so super different. But something about the way Felix played really, really got to me. So I just, I'd follow him around. I think I annoyed him a fair bit <laughs> back back in the day. I'd always be like, oh, I'd see him after you go, hi, Felix, can I have a lesson? He'd go, yeah, sure. And I'd never call him because I was too freaked out. I think we've all been that guy. We've all been guy that guy or girl that's yep, you know, latched onto that favourite player and kind of yep, followed them around. I was a total fanboy. Can I carry your snare drum or Taylor, you know? Felix and Muller and you know mm. it was Gordo as well. Like I'd yeah. actually I'd known Gordo for a little while, um, but yeah, anything that Gordo did, a total fanboy. We went to the same high school, me and Gordo, just down the road. Oh right, from here. Yeah, right. he he left. He left a long time before I got there because he's really old. Yeah, he is really old. Really, yeah. really, really old. Really, really old. Yeah, yeah, really, really old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was one of those situations where I didn't feel old. You didn't feel that old? Day, yeah. And talking to Gordo? Mm. Yeah. 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 Oh, I love Gordo. But yeah, so, and whenever I heard Gordo play, like, um, heard him a bunch with, with Don Burrows' band and with Morrison. Mm. And mm. yeah, just yeah, phenomenal. So, so many good musicians around that time. And I just, I just ate it all up, you mm. know, something really clicked. It was almost like overnight. They clicked yeah. and really got into the, into the into the jazz. Yeah, right. So where did we go from there? Um, so then I got I got into the con. Um, after after that, so I finished the bachelor music at at UNSW and then got in the con and was I had a 
great a great year. There was such a small year. There was only eleven of us in the whole year. And I and when I was there, Jamie Castrisos was the other drummer, mm-hmm. but he was only doing the diploma, so he left after. Um, because I because I'd done um bachelor music at UNSW already. They they actually had a drummer leave in second year, so they slotted me right into second year, which was good. Mm. And there was some great musos in like um. Mike Mykowski was playing bass. Um, Hugh Barrett was on piano, and Peter Farrow was on uh, um, alto, and uh, you know, uh, Steps was on on trumpet, and just a great band, great bunch of guys. Mm. And um, and so it was a, and so we, and we played together all the time, you know. It was, and I couldn't couldn't believe how good this course was compared to UNSW, which was all theory based. Mm. This was all practical based. I thought it was it was the most. I was just playing all the time. Yeah. And when I wasn't playing, I was practicing. And if I wasn't practicing, I was having lessons with Dicko, you know. Mm. And and Dicko is such a wealth of knowledge. Like I don't know if there's anyone more knowledgeable about jazz and about jazz drumming than Dicko than I, I've ever met. You know, mm. he he's helped me out. A hell of a lot. I, I owe that guy a lot for for how much he's helped me. And he started, you know, he would start to book me on gigs he couldn't do. He'd put my name forward to 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 guys. And um, yeah, so I think it was around. So I I did was at the con for three years, and maybe about might have even been the first year or the second year. I started doing gigs with with Judy Bailey. Um, who do you know? Do you know Judy at all? I know who she is. Yeah, I yeah, know her personally. yeah. Um, who I still play with, like yeah. I, you know, so we've been playing together for 12, 13 years, you know, and and that was just huge to play with Judy Bailey to do a SEMA gig like mm. um, with Judy was like you know to me at that time that was as good as playing at the stadium with a rock band, you know, that's yeah, how heavily right. I was I was in the jazz at the time yep. playing with Judy and. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I still wasn't doing a ton of gigs. I was doing a few more like functions and things, things mm. like that when mm-hmm. I was at the con, but it wasn't, wasn't a, a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but the guy, I was started to play with, um, quite a few of the musicians that were there and there were so many good, so many good musicians at the con at that time. So many good drummers. Mm. Um, cause Jamie Castrisos was in, in, in my year and, um, um, Paul Derricott and James Waples were in the year ahead of me and the year ahead of the, then was um, Jamie Cameron, mm-hmm. um, and just phenomenal drummers, mm-hmm. and just a great, great bunch of guys. You know, it was such a good, such a good time to be there, really. And and because I, because I feel like because I got there to the con a bit later than those guys, mm. uh, or like a bit older. I was twenty one when I got into the con because I'd already done mm. three years. I felt like I'd got all the. Not all, but most of the staying up late, drinking and being a moron out of my system <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Going to clubs and all that kind of stuff. I still I still did a bit of that, but mm. I I wanted to just practice yep. and I wanted to play. And, um, you know, I didn't want to stay out drinking until 3 a.m. because I wanted to get up at 8 a.m. and practice. Or I'd, I'd be in the con at, at 8, 8 o'clock every morning mm. and I'd stay till 9 o'clock at night because mm. – I had I had this space. There were drum kits here for me to play, right. you know, and I right. could practice here all night if I wanted to. I yeah. I played till they kicked me out of the joint. Yeah. Um so that was yeah, at the con was a that was a special real special time. I loved it. Love love my time at the con. How do you reckon it would have gone and have you ever thought about this if you had been accepted the first time you went for the con? It probably would have been different. 
Mm. Yeah, I, I have thought about that. I feel like the because way because you didn't, you re- weren't really no, onto the jazz thing. No, with that no, stuff. Yeah. and I reckon because because the con is such a jazz heavy course. At mm. least, at least it really was back then. It was a real heavy mm. jazz focus because it is a jazz course. Mm. I probably would have hated jazz even more because they would have been slamming it down out my throat. Right. You know? right. Um. So I, I reckon it could have things could have been really different if if I'd gone to the con first. So, yeah, in hindsight, I'm really grateful mm. the way it turned out. Um, uh, yeah, because I was definitely wise. I wasn't such a smarmy little smartass. I didn't think I knew everything <laughs> at that point. Yeah. I realised that, you know, Jimmy Cobb's cymbal beat wasn't just a pile of nothing. It was the most incredible grooving dancing thing I've ever heard, you know, because mm. my ears had at least opened a little bit mm. at that point. At that point, so yeah, you're right. I feel like the way it turned out was the best, the best possible outcome mm. for how how it could have happened. Mm. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I, I sort of touched on it earlier. Um, you know how you were sort of bouncing between the jazz and the pop rock thing, mm-hmm. um, and apart from the the hip tones, is that right? Hip tones, yeah. <laughs> Apart from the hip stones, hip stones, yeah, that's a cut point. See? Cut point, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cut it there, cut it there. Cool. You're gonna have to cut all of this as well that we're saying now. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, just yeah, cut yeah. it all. Cut it Great. all. Yeah, done. Yep. Cut and scene. The hip stones. Hip stones. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not cutting any of it. No, okay, good. It's brilliant. Um, were you looking to do some other sort of rock stuff um, as not, well? Not, not really. even thinking about no, it. Not, no. What about this thing? Listening, not 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 even really. I, I was so into into jazz. Like th- thinking back, I even I even remember um, it was when Metallica had their Saint Anger album, and I was right. like, "Well, this album sucks." And yeah, I don't. I don't like, that's yeah, snare, right? That yeah. snare drum. <laughs> this is horrible because that was in that came out in two thousand four or three, mm-hmm. and, so, and that's when I got into the con was you know three. <sighs> right, okay, good so time. Good time. It's good time. And because the- Metallica came out on that Saint Anger tour, and I didn't even think about going. Right. I was like, nah, let's do it. Chili Peppers came out. I didn't even think about okay. going, you know. So that that much into the jazz. There was that, that much yep. into it. And mm-hmm. I might have done a couple of rock things in that time. Oh, actually, probably not. It would have just been like the dance set at a wedding gig or something uh, okay. like that. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, it wouldn't have been wouldn't have been any, yeah. I was just so so into the jazz. It was, right. yeah. Mm. Don't know where it came from. I went, It really felt like it was overnight from absolutely detesting yeah. this music yeah, yeah. to it being the, the be-all and end-all. Right. It was all I wanted to do. Yeah, I'm just trying to work way into how it got back to the – Got back. So let's it – Probably it, it came a, a, fair, a fair bit later. A fair bit later, I yep. think. Well, like the whole time because I had three years at the con and I was definitely a, a mega, mega jazz head yep. at that point. Yep. And it wasn't just a mega jazz head. I was a straight-ahead jazz nerd. Basically, okay. so like if it came after 1966, I wasn't interested. Okay. Basically, you know, which is a, which is again pretty sad, you know. Like I, I was closing my mind off to you know to jazz in the early days, and then I was closing my mm. mind. I was I was just you know I was I guess sure, I had the focus. Sure, or something. you weren't thinking of that at the time. You just no no. I was just doing everything's different. I was doing anyway. my thing, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I yeah so. I was, yeah, heavily into jazz, but then in my final year of the con, I started checking out a bit more, um, I guess, modern jazz, if you want to call mm-hmm. it that. So, so um, you know, Brad Meldow's trio was a, was a big one. When I first heard that, I was like, okay, this is a new, a different way of playing mm-hmm. for me, a different way of playing the drums and a different way of approaching the music. Mm-hmm. 
So a lot more straight ahead or straight eights kind of jazz rather than, you know, just mega swing and don't move that high out off the two and four type of thing. Right. And uh, a couple of the, a lot of that, um, that music I was listening to. So I guess, what were some of the other, other bands? Any, basically anything that Brian Blade did mm-hmm. at that point, I was obsessed with, mm-hmm. you know, because I had a time in my early um, time at the con that I didn't like anything Brian Blade did because it wasn't straight ahead enough. <laughs> this is sad, isn't it? Yeah. Well, no, 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 it's just, just the way your mind works. Yeah. You know? I'm not then, judging you. Oh, I'm judging myself, believe me. Because <laughs> now Brian Blade's probably one of my favorite drummers yeah. on the planet. Yeah. You know, but there was a time I didn't like him, okay. you know, which is just insane to think back. Anyway, and just hearing, hearing jazz drummers that had a, a wider influence that weren't just the mega straight ahead guys. They had, um, they had a, a folk influence or, or a rock influence or even a, a pop influence. So mm-hmm. playing playing jazz music, but it wasn't swinging. It was straight eight, so it had a bit of a rock edge, mm-hmm. you know. So I heard Keith Carlock. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is this is something that's that's cool. This is this is heavy, and 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 because I'd, I'd heard. The whole the fusion thing, the the Weckl, mm. um sort of thing, the the uh, Chick Corea electric band that uh, that never never, never grabbed it. me. Mm. Um, do you uh, think it comes back to a sound thing? Possibly, it it could do. Like I, mm. I saw that the the musicianship was phenomenal, mm. you know, and the drumming was incredible. Mm. Just didn't didn't grab me. Yep. It, this I guess is like Nirvana. Yeah, you know, yeah, people are going to be mad at me because I don't like Nirvana. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just but that kind of fusion just really never never resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Like Weckl, the Weckl thing, never never mm-hmm. got into it. The Virgil thing, never like phenomenal, unbelievable drumming. Of course, yeah. Um, but it just didn't resonate with me as much as other stuff. But then I heard things like Keith Carlock mm. and that were was fusionish, but it wasn't Weckl. It wasn't that sort of thing, you know. Um, it was super groovy, but still had a real jazz basis a jazz mm. grounding to it um and then i started to get more into that side of the jazz the modern style the less swinging type of jazz playing mm-hmm. you know um i was i was playing in muller's band at the time and um and a lot of a lot of his songs were because felix had left town mm-hmm. and um i i was fortunate enough to pick up a lot of the gigs that he left behind mm-hmm. he went to went to the states and um so i was playing in muller's band had a few good some great years with muller's band a lot of his stuff was just the straight eighth mm-hmm. uh, up tempo stuff or even middle just straight eighth stuff and really getting into that kind of mm-hmm. playing so mm-hmm. a bit more of a a, a rock edge maybe but right. still very heavily in the jazz right. sort of thing um but i also started listening to a lot of my old Rock records again, like I'd, I'd pick up a Chili Peppers record and just go, oh, yeah, like this is this is great, you know. When I was in the jazz, I just closed my mind off to yep. all that, you know. Yep. Um, but I started to listen to it again, and then I then I heard, I heard Carnival, you know, Carnival, <laughs> yeah. and I thought, okay, this is great, this is great stuff. So I checked, I was re- I got right into Carnival, and then I started getting back into the heavy, heavy stuff again. You know, uh, I'd always sort of been a little bit into Corn and Limp Bizkit a little bit, but not not much. But it was a band like Carnival that really got me into it again. And then I heard Meshuggah. right? And then uh, then it was then it was it. That's all over. Yes, yeah. it, it was all over. I was a, I was a metalhead again, right. basically. Oh, they're su- such a good band and a great oh, yeah. live band. I've seen yeah. them a, a bunch of times. And right. Um, so I was, so I, through them, and I was starting to get back into the rock thing. Getting right. you know, and just 
just remembering why I loved it so much. It was that intensity, just the in- intensity and the passion in the music. I, f- mm. I found it in those heavier, heavier sorts of music. And mm. I found it in jazz as well, like the intensity in the music. It's it's there, especially when you hear it live. Yeah. It's it's there, man. And like even in like opera, like when I was studying at UNSW, I actually started getting into opera, which is crazy, right. like Wagnerian operas and Strauss operas because right. the intensity of those uh, is just insane, mm. like just the feeling of it, like when you hear it, hear it live as well, it's just it's mm. visceral and it's passionate and it's incredibly moving. And I, I found mm. like, that really grabbed me as well. Mm. Hearing an orchestra, you know, absolutely blast away on on anything really, a Stravinsky mm. piece or, or anything. It's just there's something hugely yeah. dynamic about it. Just right. just gets you right in the guts. It's That's sort of hard it. to describe, you know. But yeah. I feel like, but metals got that for me in spades probably more than any other yeah. type of music and then when I when I heard Meshuggah right I was like I was blown away because I always loved distorted guitars but I'd never heard guitars sound that good yeah. before yeah. before I heard that band on re- on recording like when I heard the nothing album I was like okay this is this is me for the next 20 years right cool. this is this is this is my thing yeah. you know I've heard I've heard Meshuggah in in spades mm-hmm. bits and pieces of it not something not that I don't like it, I just haven't thought to totally. take more into it. But the so, thing is, I can with a which band. Like, it's funny because every day, every couple of days, if I'm not listening to, like, um, usually with with a podcast coming up, you know, I've, I've asked you what albums you've played on, and you yep. sent them to me, and I'll be listening to those, and and that's kind of what I what I do, and I do discover new music. Yeah. But there's also times during the week where I go, what now? What was that? So I'm going to put my sugar on the list, and I'm going to put it. Put on in. if you want to start with a song, mm-hmm. just just put on bleed. Bleed, okay. Just just start with that one, mm-hmm. and you might get hooked. Either that or um, rational gaze. Okay. Maybe start with rational gaze, then put on bleed. Okay. Um, yeah, cause I but I can totally get why why people wouldn't like sugar at all or, mm. or any kind of music because it's so grating you know it's really right. is harsh to listen to right you know it's almost like they should have a disclaimer on this like should not be listened <laughs> to by children or pregnant women you know right. it's like because right. it's that it's that full on it's almost right. sounds it sounds dangerous mm. you know maybe that was what drew me to it back in the day because it should it sounded like something i shouldn't be listening to maybe right i don't know yeah but just the overall heaviness of it i could totally see why People does do not like this music. I get it, you know. Mm. Um, I get why people like Nirvana and they don't like Meshuggah. I get it, right? You know? But for me, it was just it was huge, mm. you know. And and that, but it was the technicality of it as well that really drew me to it. Like I've, I guess I've always um, loved when it comes to music. I've loved high levels of musicianship, yep. like people that could play their instruments incredibly <laughs> well. Mm-hmm. I've I've definitely been been drawn to that. Um, and that, that's probably part of what really got me into jazz. Like I finally understood that the guys that played this music, especially the drummers, like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a total drummer nerd. I just yeah. love great drummers. Mm-hmm. The drummers that played this music are incredible mm-hmm. and you, you could tell that they've, they've spent years um, perfecting their craft and I really appreciated that. Mm. And when and then when so thinking about Meshuggah and the real technical side of metal, that's got the same element to it. Yeah, you know, ultra technical. The 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 
the polyrhythmic stuff and how it's all, you know, mm. the crazy feet, foot patterns that are laid down just behind the simple backbeat, you know. Mm. Um, Has it always been the one drummer in that band? Yep, always Thomas Harkey in that okay. band. Right. Yep, and and that's the other great thing about Meshuggah is that um, they sound phenomenal on record and they sound even better live. Right, Like okay. tight as a mother live, like right. unbelievably tight. Do they go for super loud when they're live? No, that's right. the thing. That's the, that's the cool it's thing. It's not yeah. insanely loud. Yeah. But I, I've seen, I reckon I've seen them seven or eight times oh, and right. always at different venues. Mm. Um, I saw them at the Manning Bar and they were crazy loud and mm. then I saw them at the factory and they were a lot softer mm. and I saw them at the Roundhouse and there was about in between. So I guess the, the room has a part to play, I guess, but they're not stupid, insanely like, they're not ACDC loud, right. not not at all. But clarity, really clear. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe it's because I know the song so well that I can hear every nuance, perhaps. Maybe, yeah. But um, <laughs> but really well and but tight, like right. unbelievably tight. Mm. And and that's that's a big factor of drawing me to the music and what made me want to um try and play that way, or mm. you know, try to play or learn at least try to learn how to play that kind of music mm. because you have to be precise. You've got to mm. be super precise. You've got to be on the grid mm. because even if you're a little bit out, it sounds wrong and mm. you can hear it. It sounds messy, mm. you know. It's got to be tight, mm. tight as, and that's a real – and I don't know how Thomas does it, but he's, he's a machine live, like right. absolute machine, you know. As, as sloppy as Lars is live, Thomas is the opposite. Yeah, right. Solid okay. as it. Oh, man. And the sound, the, the overall sound of it. Mm. It's um, yeah. I I I would rather listen, go watch them a sugar gig than any other band in the world. Right. Okay. That that's how much I is they've got everything. There's nothing. You know, you might you see a Metallica gig, right? Some there's a drawback. Oh, Lars is a bit off, or the sounds a bit weird. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing I would change about Meshuggah or their live. The lighting show is insane. Right. There's YouTube clips um, channels dedicated just to the Meshuggah lighting guy. Really? Because you should check him out. <laughs> there's will. just him. Um, they, there's just footage of him because he he gets all those polyrhythms and it's all done right. by hand. Okay. Right. Check Meshuggah lighting guy. Put it into YouTube. Yeah. Because it, and it's it's blind as it's everything you know, but it follows the music like that tight, and that's all part of it. It's the whole wow. it's the whole experience when it comes to seeing a, a Meshuggah gig, right? You know? And I've seen a bunch of them, and they've all been because they come out here all the time, right? I don't know, you know, they're such a good touring band. They they yeah. come to Australia heaps, and yeah, yeah. Let's let's jump forward then to your band, okay? Yep, and. I'm going to try and say it. I should have asked what I usually do if I don't know the name of a a band or something. I'll, I'll ask. No, no, I, I like people to try because yeah, I've heard so, some crackers. That, okay, it's, yeah, go on. Scordatura. Oh, you got it. Oh, oh really? Yeah, you got. Oh, it. right. I wanted okay. you to mess it up. Right. No, I've heard some great ones. Um, like Scordatura is a good one. <laughs> um, I think my favourite is Scrotumtura. I kind of like oh, that Scrotum one. Tura. I should have called it Scrotumtura. Yeah, yeah. I should, was that I, someone taking the piss though, or was it? Well, maybe, maybe, yeah, it could, it could be, Scrum. yeah. But I hear score Datura a lot, or or score Daytura, and but I, I've score But the, that's the thing; I had no idea that Daytura was yeah, yeah. a hallucinogenic. Oh, yeah. And like when people have commented on the bands on the like YouTube clips we've put up or whatever, right. and saying, "Why would you want to score Daytura?" And like I read that, and I was like, "What's what? this guy talking about?" And I put Daytura <laughs> in in the in the, yeah. in the Google. I was like, "Yeah." 
Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Gotcha. Right. Yeah, no, 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 that's not us. Mm. Well, the, I mean, the, the term scordatura, we spell it wrong because we, we put an E in it. The term scordatura means to detune an instrument. Oh, right. Basically, it's a, I think it's a Latin term, but it, it's often written in classical music like if a violin needs to detune de a string, right. they put their right scordatura on there. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. And I actually first heard it from when I was playing in the Mark Isaacs band because he wanted, because Muller was in that band. And he wanted Muller to detune um, his lower string just for one note. And right. so Mark wrote Scordatura. And when I heard it, I was like, that is a cool name. If I ever have my own band, I'm going to call it Scordatura. <laughs> yeah. But we couldn't call it with the correct spelling because there's already a death metal band from Glasgow okay. with the correct spelling without the E. So I put the E in there. Right. Um, but the whole, I mean, the the way it all came about, it was sort of, I, I've, I've never... It, like in when I was, you know, into jazz and into everything, I've never ever wanted my own band ever. I never wanted to write my own music. Um, I always I wanted to be the sideman. That was my thing. I wanted to be the best sideman for any musical situation mm. I was in, um, and therefore I could play lots of different styles of music. Mm. Um, but it all came the the band sort of came about. It was sort of forced in a way, or I forced it on myself. I'd um, that you know they have the have you heard of the National Jazz Awards at the Wangaratta yeah, Jazz yeah. Festival? Yep. Um, so I the, the in 2011 it was the drums the drums year and and I won, and and that year don't know how um, I must have bribed Mike Knock or something. Anyway, I won <laughs> that I, I I won the comp and 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 you get a um a day at recording at ABC studios right. like um for free right um that was part of the part of the prize and so i thought okay well i got you know i've never done my own recording before i should do it right i should try writing something mm. and i was right into i was getting right back into the heavy bands at that stage right mm. into carnival into Meshuggah. Mm. i was like well maybe i maybe i could try writing some stuff that's more riff based stuff yeah um, and but definitely with two guitars. So I got I got Muller to to play on it, and Carl Morgan and Brett Hurst played bass. So still still double bass. Mm. And I tried to write some songs that had a bit more of a riff, bit more riff based stuff, but still with um, no real heavy distortion or anything. Mm. And and so I did the recording, and so I wrote some songs for that album and uh, for that recording. And um, and then I thought, oh, that was that was kind of cool. Maybe I'll try to. Do a bit more, so I started to write a bit more, and and um, it was still very much of a jazz thing. But I was starting to get a little heavier, um, a little more distorted, and, a bit, and the songs were a bit more riffy. Mm. And we started when we did a we did a couple of gigs. Um, we did a gig at five oh five and a couple at couple at Foundry. Uh, mm. I mean, the first gig we did at five oh five were actually called Firthy's Four at that point, which is a Fun. name even worse than Meshuggah, gonna, yeah, than um, Meshuggah, than Scordatura. Terrible, terrible name. What? Um, Firthy's Four. Firthy's Four because there were four of us and my name's. Fucking narcissistic. I know, I know. Hey, I didn't know it was my first band, all right? I didn't know how I was supposed to approach it. I know, shocking name. But then, (laughs) but I, but I, I I got into that and I started writing a bit more and I thought I want, I want to make this less jazz. I want to make it more metal. Right. Um, And that's when I, I got, um, uh, Carl Morgan was still playing guitar. And that's when I got Peter Koopman uh, to be the other guitarist, and, mm. and I got Tom Bodding on bass, but I got him to play electric bass. Okay. Um, and um, and we started to get 
turn up the distortion a bit and get a bit heavier and the songs were getting a bit more riff riff based mm-hmm. and then I thought okay well, this is this is a bit of fun I'll do mm-hmm. an album so we did the I wrote the songs for Tense which is uh, the first album we did mm-hmm. um, and I recorded all, all that here and and um, and that was that was great fun it was it was certainly a learning curve about writing music because I never wanted to do it and I never mm. never wanted to write my own songs because I um I didn't know how, basically, you know. Mm. But I felt like a um, the band like Scordatura had – I was able to work to my strengths. I was able to – because I'd love my sugar, which is purely – it's all rhythmic based. There's very little harmony involved, right. which is – and very little – even melody, very little melody involved. It's really rhythmic. And I, and so I wanted to base Scordatura on that because I knew that rhythmic was one of my strong points, whereas melody and harmony were my very much weak points. And I needed the guys to even help me out with any kind of chords or mm. whatever because mm. I could sort of hear in my head what sounded good but I didn't know exactly how to get there. Yep. Um, but I felt like a, a band like Meshuggah really inspired me. I felt like I can actually make music that's really rhythmic bass that doesn't mm. have a lot of – but but based on cool riffs, yeah, you know, it doesn't have a lot of melody, or the the melody is actually the riff. I don't have to write a melody because the riff is the melody. Yeah, I don't have to write chords because the riff is the chords. Yeah, I can do that. You yeah, know? so I, I was able to write. I felt like I could write something. Um, you know, I could actually write a half decent song. I hope. Well, you know, looking back at some of those songs on tense, I'm like, what were you thinking? But that's all. That's all part of it. That's all part of learning how to write. But I'd never really done it before. Mm. Um. So that was a cool ex- experience, and but it also re- I, it was just great for me to be able to practice trying to play that music because it's so hard to play, mm. and really go for precision, like trying to get it as tight as possible, and that's hard. Um, at least I find it very hard to be that precise, where mm. every every single note, every single semiquave has got to be on that grid, because if it's not, it's not heavy anymore. It doesn't doesn't yeah, sound I, I strong, you. you know. I so it was it was a good kind of forced practice. I'd written these songs. I couldn't play any of them. I was like, geez, I better learn how to play my own music. <laughs> yeah. And it feels like that all the time. Whenever we have a gig, I've got to go back and learn my own songs. That's cool. Because it's hard. Mm. It's hard to play, you know. So it's it's good forced practice, I guess. When you were listening to Meshuggah, and were you at any point trying to play along to that stuff or was that purely stuff you listened to? It was purely just, just to listening listen to, to. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'd play also because – most of the sugar stuff is double kick, and I had always never wanted to play double kick. Right? Yeah, I know you can see the double. Oh, I kick can just there. see it now. Yeah, the later, yeah. the la- later stuff has got a bit yeah. of it in. Yeah. There. Yep. Um, because it's that usual thing, you know. I, I, I never really liked double kick drumming, mm-hmm. and and would always, you know, be all high and mighty about oh, double kick. That's so naff. Oh, you're you bring a double kick pedal to gig. <laughs> you're an idiot, kind of thing. Um, but. I realized that that was more because I couldn't do it. And yeah, so yeah, therefore yeah. I was, you know. Bag the pedal. Bag right. the pedal yeah, yeah. purely because I couldn't do it, you know, yeah, right. and I can't do it. And it's hard, man. Right. It's, the guys that can do it, I, I got so much respect from now. So you on. didn't bring it into Firthy's 4? No, I no. couldn't do it back then. No, no, no. But the later Scottish Tour stuff, because I, I never actually play, I never go, I'm never doing that. It's purely because I wanted, I, I started writing riffs that had three or four note, like, da, 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 da. Yeah. And I can't play that on one foot if it's yep. that fast. So I'm never just sitting there going, look, playing blast beats or the anything like that. The purists say you should be able to play that on I one should, foot. But I yeah. can't. Mm. I can't. Mm. Um, but so I've started to try and figure out how to do it. And and that's but that's also been another cool thing to try mm. and work on. And it's not like 
it's it's cool to have something because I you know I've done you know I've worked on playing drums my whole life. Yeah. Um, it's cool to have something in drumming that not only um, like something I'm not very good at. It's something I can't do at all. Mm. Like I'm a complete and utter beginner when it comes to double kick playing. Mm-hmm. So it's it's been great to have something to work up from zero, work up from scratch, and try and be trying to get at least a little better at it mm-hmm. and just go for that evenness thing because uneven mm-hmm. double kicks just sound sloppy and horrible, you know. So it's that's it's been cool to have to, to have that purely just to try and have something that I'm woeful at and I'm trying to be less woeful mm-hmm. at it basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for the people that haven't heard Scordatura and you want to go and listen to them, I recommend – because you just gave me a couple of songs to listen to for Meshuggah. Meshuggah, yep. So I'm going to give the people just one song to go and listen to to catch on to Scorchera. Scorchera, okay. Yep, and that's Honest Oblivion. Cool, the last one on the latest album. On the album. latest album, cool. and it's fucking cool, man. That's very very kind of you. Yeah. It's a fun song, that one, hard to play. Because I've been listening to all your, your stuff this week to my earbuds at work. Sorry about that. That's all right. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> You got to do it. You got to do, do it. it man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, but yeah, that that particular song. Yeah, I'm, I won't give it away. Just go listen to it. In the end, you're not going to know when it ends. Oh, good. Yeah, it's so cool. I'm just being a silly bugger. I mean, no, the, I the whole it. thing about my band. I I I don't want to take it seriously. You know, we're not going to take over the world. When, you know, I'm not going to make money off this music. This is purely for my own enjoyment and for fun and hanging. You know. The guys in the band, they you know, I love yep. playing with those guys. I'd never say it to their face, yep. um, because we one big part of the band is that we have to completely take the piss out of each other. Yep, that's a very important part. Which you do in your videos. Which right? I do in the yep. videos. That's mm-hmm. right. Uh, it's very important, and I have to completely take the piss out of myself because mm-hmm. I deserve it. Yep, you know, and that's what that's what the that's what the band's all about. You know, I mean that. They, those guys, they just call me a bulldog git that's trying to play metal, you know. Right. That's, that's, that's exactly what I am. Exactly. You know, yeah. that's the way I want it, yep. you know. And, you know, they, they they always cringe at my horrible dad jokes and dad right. videos and, you know, yep. that's fine. You know, I, I you know, I love I mean, my dad jokes. Come anyone on. who, yeah, tries to name a band Perthy's Four. Exactly. Exactly. Deserve everything what a narcissist. You yeah, you, know? you deserve everything you get. What was I thinking? I only honest. did one gig on Verthy's Four, yeah. Right. No. Nah. Didn't get the callback? No, nah, didn't get the callback. Verthy's <laughs> Four, so stupid. Almost <laughs> as stupid as Scorda <coughs> Just, just on the taking the piss out of the out of yourself in videos, mm. um, that reminds me of early COVID. Um, <laughs> you did a series of, um, and I, I'm, I was devastated when they, when they ended. Yeah. You did a series of uh, – I ran out of ideas. Oh, did you? Well, right. no, I had a few more, but they yeah. were getting a bit close to the I moment. think what's kind of cool, the way that it well, – let, let me sort of talk about it first. Okay. You, you did a bunch of videos and I, I got my notes here and I took little screenshots so I, I could, you know, remind myself. There's one there you're, you're trying to do the Nate Wood. Playing the bass. Playing the, the bass yeah. and, the, and play drums at the same time. So that's that's very funny. Um, and failing. And failing, yep. yep. There's the um, the spiritual, almost David Jonesy. That's who I was 
channeling. Yeah, I was worried that one was a bit close to the bone because I love love DJ. He's you know, awesome. Although yeah, Jones yeah. is just yeah. he's a phenomenon, but yeah. he'd always put up those videos. I'm like, oh come on, that that's just such good material. I've got to yeah. I've got to take a yeah, little yeah. bit of the piss out of that. With <laughs> yeah. with with total love and respect to Jonesy, yeah. you know, phenomenon of the drumming art form. Yeah, but for sure, you know, I'm going to put on a pink dressing gown. Yep, yeah, yep, and do that. Nailed yeah. that and hit your little symbols and your that, little. That hand bells and yeah. stuff. Sorry, Jonesy. Yep. Sorry, mate. <laughs> um, you stick twirling. How's that coming along? Yeah, struggling, struggling. I've poked my eye a couple of times. Yeah. Um, um, but I'll get there, you know, because you cannot groove without a stick twirl. Like, right. It's it's. I feel like drummers need to work on their twirling. Right. A lot more. And thunderstruck's very difficult to play too. By with, it is. It is. And then trying it, to add that to it. I know. Mm. I know. But and it's all. It's the twirling and the facial expressions as you do it is very important. That's right. It's an the, audio podcast. The, that's that's right. The cross-eyed and the tongue out. Just that's go. thing. It's yep. it's very important. Yeah. Um, the one that got me was the the four-piece band. Starting the jam, and um, I won't give too much of it away. You need to go and watch it. It's on Tim's Instagram, which is uh, in the show notes below. But it's basically Tim has four band members, drummer, bass player, um, singer, and um, guitarist. Guitarist, yep. And um, they start laying down this groove and the bass player, and then the, the drummer's playing this sort of Jay Diller <laughs> Groove the bass yeah. You're not fucking locking in, mate. You're not yeah. locking in. And anyway, I won't give it away. Go watch it. But um, yeah, that series of videos. There was a couple others too. There was the the um, the very first one was you sitting at your drum kit, but you're obviously going through all the COVID yep. news on Twitter and going, oh, yep, because oh, that was me. <laughs> yeah, I so yes, <laughs> we all did it. So related to that. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, then there was the uh, the uh, meditating. One and the phone rings and yeah, it was just a bit. Of, I mean, I had to do something. Yeah, I guess I had to do something with my time. Yeah, the kids weren't off school at that point, so I was, okay. you know, but had no gigs, nothing to do. But everyone is it was there was just so much good material. I mean, Facebook's just so good for material because mm. everyone's just putting a I whole. They, you know, they're just everyone's just spewing their guts out on Facebook. And it's like, okay, we've got no gigs, so I need to stay relevant, so therefore I need to post videos of myself practicing. Right. And everyone was doing it. And That's I'm right like, right. okay, no, no, this is just this is too much material here. You know, yep. I've got to I've got to have a go at this. Yep. So I was starting to, you know, I, I mean I am taking the piss out of people, but I have to I put my hand up, it's you know, love. In, in, I, I full love and respect. And yep. in the last one, I'm completely taking the piss out of myself. Because, <laughs> you know. If I'm going to make fun of people, I got to be able to make fun of myself, and yeah. they got to be able to make fun of me. Yeah, you know? that's it. Um, yeah, that was just just a, a bit of fun. I mean, I, I enjoyed watching people's reactions. I hope none of it got too close to the bone. There were a couple of extras, but I think they were getting a little too personal. Oh, really? Which didn't make it up. Um, I thought the Jonesy one might have gone a bit too far. The pink, you no, know, because it was it was obvious who I was, you know, taking the piss out of, mm. and it's it was someone who I admired and. Respected, yep. but yep. there are a couple others that were, I think, a bit even more obvious. I thought, all oh, right, I better, I better just stop this before <laughs> I lose all friends and all credibility. Yeah, basically. Well, if I haven't already done it, <clears throat> well, I mean, like I said, I was wanting more, so it's probably a good, it's a good way to end something like that. Yeah, uh, try, try, keep, to keep, yeah. Look, all, all my humor is total dad jokes, and it's all, yep. you know, Ricky Gervais inspired, yeah, kind yeah of right. stolen everything <laughs> from The Office, which is the greatest sitcom since Faulty Towers. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't know. I'd- yeah, there was one of the the videos I saw. For, I, was it? I don't know if it was that off your computer. Or it was your bass player or guitarist when you 
it was playing one of the run-throughs of one of the Squatachuri songs. Yeah. And it was the – they had um, the office yeah. desktop. Because we, we are – the whole band, um, we are um, office oh, right. freaks, total <laughs> nerds. We could recite the whole thing start right. to finish right? pretty much, which is – which now that I say it is incredibly sad. And yeah, I feel like I've wasted bit. my life yeah. a little bit. Mm. I mean, I know I've definitely wasted my life. I'm a metal playing jazz musician that likes The Office. Right. Jeez. That name's I'm banned after now. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. Mm. I'm going to get another beer, I think. <laughs> I'm really depressed. It. Let's do it. But no, we're, we are big uh, Office Office fans. Or yeah. British, dry British humour is, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Love it. And so, I, you know, I try to put a bit of that into my, I don't know, online comedy and anything anything to do with Scorticure, it's got to be, Completely taking the piss. It can't be serious. That's cool. It's got to be. I got to be either making fun of me or someone else. Right. But definitely making fun of the band. Right. Any of the guys in the band, or you know, I mean, the last gig we did, the promo was me yelling at them and telling them how much they suck. They suck. That's right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, which they do. Mm. They do suck. Mm-hmm. All of them. Mm. I hate them all. Mm. And I'm going to fire them. The guitar. They're only just playing one they're note. Just, to exactly. It. Uh, exactly. Uh, uh, they don't realize uh, what uh, I've got to do. Uh, I'm using. F- yeah, uh, 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 exactly. That you wrote, and they uh, bitch and moan about that too, you know. <laughs> and the, there's two, and like I said, there's two Kiwis, and they lost their accents. Right, they're, they're weak. Okay. They're right. at piss weak. Do you have to tune boys. the guitars for them? Absolutely, right. they're shocking because they're seven. We're down at we play seven string guitars now, yeah, and they're tuning yeah. down to A. Right, they don't know what they're doing, man. They got no clue, <laughs> no clue. See, mate, see how much I love them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Any, if I'm going to take a piss out of someone, it's I've got to be able to do it to their face. That's it. And I can definitely do it to their faces. That's it. And then when you can record it, it as a video and put it to the world. That's yep. right. Because they'll give it back, that's for sure. <laughs> and when they give it back, I deserve it. Yeah. Believe me. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. That's half the fun, mate. Um, when did you start playing drums for Thirsty Merc? Uh, that was um, – Four or five years ago now, mm-hmm. I think. Um, it's it's kind of a yeah. The guys have told me this this in hindsight. They because in the for the last five or six years, the the Merc when um, the original drummer Carl left, the Merc's been the three boys, been Ray, Phil, and Maddie, mm-hmm. um, and the the drummer's been kind of like a hired gun, yeah. gun basically. So yep. after that, uh, Mick Skelton joined the band, but yep. Mick Mick plays with a lot of bands, including yep. you know. Baby animals, uh, baby animals, and because yep. Mick, Mick's just oh, unbelievable, groovy, like absolute heavy groove. Like yep. I love Mick's drumming, just yep. so so beautiful. Um, <clears throat> and it was the, they had a they had a weekend of gigs um, where they could not find a drummer. Mick couldn't do it, and they went they went down their list of drummers, and they tried everyone, and they couldn't get anyone. They didn't tell me this at the time. They told <laughs> me this a couple of years later, yeah, or at least a year later or something. And um, and so and I got and they asked me because I I played with I've obviously done a ton of jazz gigs with Phil, and I've done gigs with Ray, but always jazz stuff. And I right. and I did I was playing in Uncle Jed. Mm-hmm. Um, and Maddie had done a, quite a few. Maddie Smith, the guitarist from the Merc, was also playing a bit with Uncle Jed. We'd done right. a couple of tours and things. Um, and so, yeah, so I got the call for the, for for that gig, and and they told me in hindsight that I was either number seven or eighth drummer okay. that they right. called. Like they went through Gordo, they went through um, <laughs> Jackie Barnes, like, like they went through everyone, right. you know, anyone they could think of, and they got to me last. Right. And I and I said absolutely, you know, because mm. I, I I've always wanted to be a rock drummer, you know. Now, yeah. now here's here's my chance. So that was about uh, four four years ago or so, five years ago, 
And then um, and around that same time was when the accident happened um, with, with Mick. If pe- yeah, if people don't know, there was the horrible, horrible accident where um, Shane, the tour manager, and Mick were in the same, were in the car and they had a horrible accident. Shane died and Mick was uh, incredibly, like, terribly injured. Mm-hmm. And um, was in a coma for a long time, and and so after that run, they needed drummers for for more dates, basically, because obviously Mick Mick was in a real bad way. Mm. And so I was still down, like um, I was still down the list. Like Gordo did a lot of them. Pete Drummond was doing a lot of them, and mm. I and I got the leftovers kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, and then uh, but and because the band was playing so much, um, there was still even though I was still down the list, I moved up the list a little. Um, but I was still down the list. Yeah. Um, but uh, and then I started just started doing more and more gigs, and then you know, Pete and and Gordo were less available, and I just mm. started to get the get the call, and Mick was still still out of action, so I started doing more and more, and mm. and now now um, at least the last couple of years, I, I just do the stuff that that Mick can't do, um, which is which is a lot because he's so busy. Yeah. You know, like I think the last tour, I actually I think I did most of it because Mick Mick was unavailable for a whole chunk of it. Right. Um, which is which is great. Like, I um I mean I love I love that band. I love playing in that band. That's mm. like that's easily easily one of my most favouritest gigs to do because I love the songs, mm. and there really is there's something to be said. Playing, playing in front of an audience, like big or small, and the Merc gigs, like they they range, you know, um, but they're always really well attended. Like we might, well, the Merc will go to any any crappy town, and if it's got a crappy pub, the Merc will play it, and they'll pack it out, yep. you know, which is which is awesome. Like the, mm. I love playing the country towns with the boys, mm. um, and there's some there's something about playing with a with a band and everyone in the room knows the knows the lyrics yeah. to the songs you're yeah. playing. I've yeah. never had that experience yeah. and they're not yeah. my songs yeah, gotcha. at all. Yeah. You know, I'm not I'm not even a, you know, a real proper member of the band. Yeah. It, but the guys make me feel like one. That's even cool. though I'm still I'm the second like I'm I get the call after Mick, you know. Mm. Yeah. Because I mean, Mick's like hearing Mick with the Merc is is something special. That right. that band sings when he plays. And the guy nearly died. Being on tour with the band, you know, yeah, so he he's he's the you know he's the heart of that band. Mm. Like he's a real, he's a huge part of the Merc. Mm. Is is Mick? So I feel privileged to be any any part of that band because mm. I love those guys. I love playing those songs, and mm. I get that experience of playing to an audience that knows all the words yeah. to the songs, you know, and they and they love the they love the boys and they love the music. And the the other great thing is that even though I'm not a you know theoretically a permanent member. I'm not even the first call for mm. the band. Mm. The boys never make me feel like that. They make me feel like I'm part of the band That's when I'm cool. there, which is which is great. And like I never, I've, honestly, I've never thought of oh, oh gee, I wish I was doing all. The, I wish I was doing all the gigs. You know, I wish, I wish I was the first call. I want to be the guy. I want my face on the poster. Yeah. It just just because the the guy's attitude towards me and playing the band is such a. a beautiful thing they make me feel like i'm part of it i've never felt like i've they never make you feel like the hired gun basically yeah, when you when you're there you're you're their drummer and mm. which is which is great and mm. and those boys are they're incredible musicians those three boys ray maddie and phil mm. they they are some of the best musicians mm. i've ever had the privilege of yeah playing with world you know? class eh? oh world, world class. class what ray can do like he's freakish 
man, he like he's one of the most, but but can you know can scat over giant steps, but can write a pop song like Summertime. <laughs> like who can do that yeah. and, and and do that beautifully well? And and Maddie's the same, the guitarist. Like he's a phenomenal jazz guitarist, right? But if he's got to do a, a solo on Summertime or on on any kind of rock song, there's there's no there's no jazz in there. There's nothing but Angus Young. There's there's right. there's rock pig guitar solo. That's what he does, right? You know, and when he plays reggae, Maddie Skank is the grooviest thing I think I've ever heard yeah, when right. he plays reggae. Because right. he's 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 what I want to be as a drummer. Okay, you know, I want to be able to play everything in any style yeah. as good as Maddie can on the guitar. Yeah, he he is that guy. And Phil, when he plays a bass, he just he just puts in so much passion and so much life, and you can you can tell that every note that he plays is he's making it. He's he he wants it to make it sound like the last note he's ever going to play because yep. he's such a passionate person and plays that way and that's mm. the way he plays the bass mm. and that's such a huge part of the Merc sound and I get to sit behind these boys yeah. Yeah. and play these songs, you know. It's it's real, it's real special to me to be any part of that band because I love those boys, I love the songs and we when we tour we have such a good time, you know. It's yeah, just, that's cool. We have an absolute blast. So mm. it's really, really special. Hopefully we get to... Gig again soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. What do you think makes a good side man? Um, that's a that's a, a a good question. I think I think attitude mm-hmm. is is a is a big thing. Um, if if you're a side man, especially when it comes to a drummer, I think the attitude on the gig is a huge part of it. And on the rehearsal, you know, um, mm. I feel like. If someone's booked me for a gig um, or a rehearsal, if I need to be, if I've said yes to this, um, how how could I how could I possibly be ten minutes late? Mm-hmm. You know how could you know how egotistical, how rude, how horrible is is that? You know because it's not that hard to be on time <laughs> yeah. for a gig, to be on time for a rehearsal, and when you're there, to be present. You know, to give to you know to be receptive to what they're asking you to do. You know, because they're paying you to do it. That's it. You know, um, I feel like attitude is is a big one. And and to be you know, and every now and then you see a lack of attitude from from people that you know that you might might be playing with other musos in the band, or if it's just a one off gig or something. Or if 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 you're doing a gig and someone doesn't want to be there, you can tell straight away, and it drags the whole thing down. Um, there's, there's no, in, in my, I mean, this might sound a bit high and mighty, but in my opinion, there's no room for that, um, at all when it comes to being a, it doesn't a sound man. high and mighty at all. Or just, uh, to me, it's common sense. Like yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, I, it's, maybe it's the way I was brought up. I don't know, but if, if I'm going to do something, if someone's going to pay me money to play the drums, someone is going to pay me money mm. to play the drums. Mm. How, how dare I do that half-assed? Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a disgraceful thing. In, I mean, I mean, maybe this is all coming out because you know I've hardly done a gig and I, I can't wait to do another one. You know. Oh, I'm sure if I'd asked you that question four months ago, it would have I been different. Get, no, yeah, it's like I no. hate everyone. You yeah, know? fuck them. Yeah, yeah. yeah, fuck them all. Screw those bastards. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I just feel yeah. I mean, yeah, because I, I, I love being a side man. You know. Yeah. You know. You know what I love? I love being the second call for for all these gigs. Right. You not, know, because the eighth. No, no, second is great, you know. Yep. Like I don't I don't I don't have to be 
the the first call like because everyone's got a particular sound they're after okay you know i don't have to be the first call for any gig but if i can be the second call for every gig yeah right then i'm happy right because you know? it's not i guess it's kind of like it's kind of like um uh it's like it's not i've got this project oh i'd love to get tim firth on this it's not like that it's like i've got this project let's let's just get tim firth because hopefully they know it's just gonna, it's going to work it's right. going to it's going to and it hopefully it means that they're going to get someone reliable reliable yeah because that's all I want and i feel like i've got that from my parents my mum and dad are incredibly uh wonderful reliable um people and uh, and all my family really i've got such a good family network uh, very strong family e- ethics when it comes to that and how you should be as a person how you should present yourself and if if someone is paying you money to do something you gotta you gotta deliver you've got no right to do it mm. half fast because one it's something you love to do like i love paying the drums and i'm getting paid to do it mm. i'm not going to show up late you know mm. i'm not going to get pissed halfway through mm. you know it's just so yeah so when it comes to being a sideman i feel like attitude is is a big one you know, if you can go in with a with a good attitude, it doesn't even matter if you're the if you're a hot musician or not. You know, if you can do the gig right, and if you can do it on time, you can do it with a smile on your face, and you can give the band leader, especially the support that they require, mm. they're going to call you again. That's it. Eh? You know, yeah. this is a small town. You mm. you do something wrong, you'll get blacklisted like that. <laughs> you know, yeah. you really can. Yeah. And I've seen it happen. You know, it's not it's it's word gets around real quick. Mm-hmm. When something goes wrong. So I feel like you need to do everything as a sideman because I love being a sideman. Mm. I love it. I get to do play all this different kind of music, mm. you know, with some of the best musicians I've ever heard. Um, and I, I need to I need to deliver no matter what. I need to be able to be able to give. Like so like playing with the Merc, they'll call a song I've never heard before. You know, okay. they'll, they'll say at Soundcheck, we want to do this song tonight. I've got to go and listen to that song 10 times because I don't want charts there. I'm not yeah. be sitting there reading a chart. Gotcha. I've got to memorize this song before I have to play it tonight. Yep. So that's that that kind of stuff is important to me. And mm-hmm. it's not that hard. It's not that much effort mm-hmm. to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. And hopefully I've got no doubt that the boys would, would appreciate mm-hmm. someone putting that effort in, you know. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not going to drink five beers on the gig, you know. Yeah. I'm going to drink ten after the gig because <laughs> yeah. that's what Maddie Smith requires. You okay. know, if you're going to have a hang with Maddie Smith, you've got to have ten after the gig. Right. Um, but uh, I guess it's a bit of professionalism or just giving them understanding what they want and giving it to them because yeah. it's not that hard, yeah. I think. Yeah, I agree, yeah. 100%. Yeah. 100%. So you played on um, Uncle Jed's Golden Retriever sessions yep right uh, a brown's did as well yeah he, had a couple, he was yep. on a couple of songs a couple of tracks yep yep that was uh did their christmas album as well right so they they video um that stuff so is that the video recorded live and the audio recorded live in the one session yep okay that's what i thought yep yep all live that's how good laura yeah. is at singing right because she nails it first time every yep. time she's a phenomenon man first, first time i heard her was with um, was that Karen Andrews' gig? Right at Lazy Bones, and was her and Shannon did like a duo? Yep, thing, and it was it's amazing. Shannon is one of the grooviest keyboard players. Yeah, for sure. His time, yeah. even when he plays drums, his time is. Solid. Oh, he plays drums. Yeah, well, right. just just a little oh, bit. Like, okay, not like because his dad's a great drummer. Okay, um, Phil and Phil and Danny. So that um, Phil, Phil's the dad. Danny and Shannon are brothers, and there's six of them. Okay, um, 
So, but very musical family. Yeah. But those guys are groovy as I love playing with those guys and yeah. they're huge Manly fans, which is very important. Oh, you're going to turn your nose up now, are you? Go on. What's your team? Oh, rugby, right? You're a Kiwi. Rugby? Yeah. Oh, stupid sport. Anyway. Um, I was. And- yeah, I sometimes go for para. I'm going for para at the moment. Oh, yeah, you can go for that. They're doing it's good. Fine. They're doing good. Um, uh, we should have taken it was, those boys. I was. I go for the Warriors when they're up. Man, uh, whoever's, up, whoever's up. That's the thing. Yeah. No, I'm. I'm uh, if we talk about league, when I when the Warriors first came onto the scene in '95, that was the first full year that we were in Australia. We came out right. in '94, and the Warriors started in '95. So, any game that they played at Parramatta Stadium or Sydney Football Stadium, we, we, we were there. Watched them. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, and yeah, um, that was all Super League time down back then, wasn't it? Uh, Super League happened was it? in '95, '96. Right, okay. Yeah. Well, and I the mean, split was in '97. Well. I got to see the Raiders play. Yep. So it must it must have been sort of pre Super League. Yeah, yeah. pre Super League. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know that's the Laurie Daly. Yep. Brett Mullins. She's had a good team. I back got then. to meet Brett Mullins. Did he you? came to my work. Oh really? Yeah, he was driving a truck. There you go. He, like, he owns a pub now, I think, or a couple of pubs. I think Brett so. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. yeah. The Central Coast or something. Mm. But you uh, know those days, you know, you talk about Manly, you know. It's Cliffy Lyons, Jeff Toovey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Matthew Ridge. Oh, mate. Th- those we days. had a team. All yeah, right. that was something else. Yeah. Mm. I can I can tell you, like, my the five best days of my entire life, I can tell you exactly what they are. Okay. Like my wedding day, yeah. two, the, the births of my two children, mm-hmm. and Manly's grand final victories in 2011 and 2008. Right. Easily. Top five. Awesome. Done. Not mm. necessarily in that order. Okay, gotcha. Maybe the Manly victories first and then the birth of my <laughs> kid. No. <laughs> No, the wedding first, then the manly. No, I should put the manly victories last. Yeah, yeah. For this, for this, for this. Yeah, yeah. but when yep. we turn this off, yeah. But I can edit too. You so. can edit. Yeah, Great. so I put yeah wedding, wedding kids, kids, two manly victories. Yep. Oh eight and two thousand eleven. Oh. Oh, special times. Awesome. But the other the other great thing is like because I love my seagulls, I love my cricket, but purely it's because my family do. And when oh, we go right. watch the footy, when we watch the cricket, it's family time. Oh, great. You know? And yeah. and that's that's probably the biggest part of it. Like I, I reckon if 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 my family weren't into it, I wouldn't be into it either. You okay. Know? And now I'm getting my son into it, you know. That's cool. You know, my, mm. like we'll sit and watch the footy all the time. He loves going to the games when he can, you know. Yeah, great. I've been yeah. told, you know, getting my son and my kids into – Manly is child abuse, but you know I don't care. <laughs> I've been told they're going to call docs on me. Really? You know? Yeah. Isn't that a horrible thing to say? Yeah, no, that's what. I don't care. Mm. But yeah, they're going to be. That's the only thing. My kids can do anything they want, but yep. they got to be Manly fans. Okay, yep. fair enough. Yep. If they're not, they'll be disowned. Yep. And I'll tell them. I'll tell them every day. I've converted my my wife. She's an All Blacks supporter now. Oh yeah. Yep. She's Australian. Rugby's still a thing. I thought they would have folded with COVID. Sorry, go on. No, no. Sorry. It's all good. We're all good. <laughs> well, the New Zealand New Zealand rugby um, it was a lot better its own, than Aussie rugby. Well, it's that's got its sure. own comp at the moment, right? So we're just playing playing our own teams. It's just a five team comp, yep. for ten weeks, but full stadiums. Really? Yeah. No, that's because New no, Zealand's no COVID. Yeah, well, because you got a decent prime minister. Yeah. Let's um, not talk politics. No, I don't want to talk. No, 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 we're no, not no. going to do that. No, no. <clears throat> Not going to do that. No. Yeah. So I was asking about uh, yeah Uncle Jed and and was curious as to because they the videos look like that's the audio because yep. after listening to that um, 
yep. album that you sent me to listen to. It's all totally live. On. That's yeah. how good Laura is. Yeah, you know, and and you can tell when you listen to it. It's a big room, roomy sound. Mm-hmm. You know, and the drums are spilling all through that vocal mic. Sound great know? though. It, mm. it it was mixed really well. Like, mm. and I don't know how someone could mix a band like that in one room with those right. high ceilings at Golden Retriever. And but it, I, I was asking, I, f- I forget his name, the guy that mixed it. I feel terrible, mm. but I was asking him about it. Like, like the drums are going to spill all through the vocal mic. Mm. It was like, he's like, yeah, that's fine. It's like the best room mic you could possibly think of is a vocal mic. You yeah, know? right. And because Laura doesn't need a million takes, she'll nail it first time. Right. She's an absolute pro. Yeah. Um, yeah, love playing with those guys. They're a lot of fun. Mm. A lot of fun, and it help, helps my funk chops trying to nail nail that thing. But, yeah. You know, all I got to do is sit on Shannon and Danny's groove, and I'll, I'll be just fine. Yeah. You know, because those guys are, yeah, and some some of my best mates because they love the Seagulls and they love playing poker. Right, and that's a you that's know, your other thing. That's my other thing. Mm. I have have a lot of poker sessions. Got one tomorrow night. Oh, great! Poker sessions at my place. Awesome. Yep, I always have a good session. There's a good good crew of uh, musos that are into the poker. Oh, great! We we play every every month or so. Um, yep, missed it over the COVID times, but yeah. getting back getting back now. Have a few beers, have a chat, listen to music, play some cards. That's great. Nothing better. Awesome. Has that. Love of poker ever taking you to online poker? Um, no, it because uh, well, no for two reasons. One, because I said to my wife, "Can I give this online poker thing a go?" And she said, "No." Okay. And she is always right. Yep. And she was definitely right because right. that's a quick way to lose lose money. <laughs> and then and then well yeah because you know but that's the reason she's number one on your top five. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Hundred percent. Um, no, but she she's. She knows what she's doing. She's she's switched on and she's right. You know, as soon as yep. I do that, then then it'll be head into the computer, and yeah, you know, right. trying to make money back. I've lost. Not a good idea. Mm-hmm. And and then you can't play it online now anyway. It's oh, at least right. for money. No, they they it's illegal now in the country. Oh right. Yep. Okay. In Australia and America, a lot of countries you can't play online for money now. That's great. So, but I, I I like playing it on a little app on my phone. Mm-hmm. So I'm playing, still playing against real people, but it's not for real not money, for money, just for yeah. just for playing money. But even but poker's playing poker with your mates is all is is about the hang, you know. Yeah, I gotcha. I, I, once when we're on tour in in Melbourne, we had a night off, and I thought I'm going to go play at the casino, play poker at the casino with with the grinders, you know. Yeah, and I did, and I hated it. Oh, because because right. they're all no they're all vibe. mean. There's no mm. vibe, and they're all pricks. And I, you know, I, I think I won a hundred bucks, maybe, mm. which I was stoked about. But boy, they weren't happy because they'd never seen me before. Mm. And I won my hundred bucks, and I left the table. And right, they, they didn't like the look of me. I was like, nah, this ain't fun. Yeah, right. So I just have a game here. It's ten dollar buy-in, and winner takes all at the end. It's probably not fun for them either. Probably eh? not fun for them. Yeah, no. too in too deep. Yeah, so it's just a bit of fun. Is it something? Is poker something that you've got to keep your chops up? Oh, no, nah. nah. not really. No, nah, no, nah. just have a have a bit of fun, mm. you know, and it's definitely, it's just a social thing really. Yeah. yeah okay. you, you never forget the, the rules or anything. Okay. But if you're going to get into it seriously, then, then yeah, and there's a lot to it because mm. there's a lot of maths in, involved, mm. which I have no clue about. But yeah. I try to think of the probabilities or whatever and, mm. you know, there's nothing I like more than taking my friend's money. <laughs> so. That's what I try to do. It's only ten bucks. You spend double that going to the movies, you know. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, so just yeah. have a hang and a few beers, and yeah, we do it. Do it here. It's great. Yeah, love it. That's cool. Um. Oh, so we were talking about um, Emma Pask before. Um, 
and I had Emma on the show. That was very early on in COVID too. Mm. So, yeah. um, when did you start playing in Emma's band, and how'd that come about? Um, that yeah. was oh, that would have been maybe in I was I think I just left the con maybe uh, okay, um, and I'd done I'd done a few gigs uh, with. I'd played with Phil Stack a, a little bit, yeah. who, who's been in Emma's band forever. But um, uh, Phil put me forward to play in James Morrison's band on a few gigs when um, uh, well, Craig Simon was playing with him or it was either Craig Simon or Gordo or John Morrison was playing with, yep. with James and they weren't available. Again, me, the you know fourth call, fifth yep. call, whatever. Um, uh, yeah, so I got, got in there and I did a – a couple of gigs with James and Emma was obviously singing with James at mm. the time and and then um and yeah we just sort of hit it off and uh she was putting an album album together the um some other spring album uh that she did and um so she called me to do that so I'm on half the tracks and Andrew Diggerson's on the other half um yeah so I did that album with her and that I think I I think I'd done that album before I'd even with her, before I'd even played a gig with her as a leader, okay. I played with her a bunch with Morrison, but right. not as a leader. So I did did that album with her, and then I started playing playing with her after that. And so that I think that was a, a maybe maybe that was two thousand eight, maybe some, something like that. Mm. So you know, a good twelve years we've mm. been playing together now. Done a lot of gigs. You know, I I owe Emma a, Emma a great deal of thanks. She's um. She's, you know, taking me around the world basically. I mean, yeah, them, right. you know, yep. the the gigs in, in Switzerland in Ascona were just life-changing and then going to Cuba mm. two years ago playing the Havana Jazz Festival. That was incredible, you know. I, I owe it all to Emma basically, mm. you know. Um, and she's just such a – she's so groovy. Like, I mean, her her groove is is so deep and so natural. When she sings, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. She's really got that, that deep groove down. And from a drummer's point of view, mm. um, it's, it's pretty cool. I can just, she can sing a melody. And I can, it just makes my job so easy. I can right. just sit behind and swing away, you know. And she's just such a, a good person, such a, a wonderful being, you know, to be around. It's just, it's a, it's a, a joy mm. to share the stage. With her, and because she, when you when you're on stage with her, you don't feel like you're a side man. You know, yep. it's it's not it's not her way or the highway. It's a it's a four piece that band, and mm. her her name's the one that's bringing the punters through the door. Yep. But yep. Um, she wants it to feel like a, a real band, which is which is beautiful. You know, she's she's very keen on input from us and mm. what we think, what songs we should do, and you know, it's yeah, a real a real pleasure. I feel very grateful. To be part of that band, and and while like because um, obviously she's got the list of musicians she, she uses, and there's it's always great musicians. Sometimes it's different depending on who's available. Mm. Um, but when we get that band with with Kevin Phil, um, it's it's something else. Right. It really, just feels something something special. It's got that fire. It's got that vibe, and I, I really feel like you know Emma and Phil have got a real deep connection back from the Morrison days. Right. When, they, when they play together, when they do their two out, when they do a duo, they play Afro Blue together as a duo. It's pretty, pretty incredible mm. what, what they do, the way Phil supports her and the way they feed off each other. They got a real deep thing, those two. They're like brother and sister, like yeah. musically and, you know, 
Yep. And spiritually, it's a beautiful thing. And I get to sit back and play drums behind him, you know? Very cool. It's pretty cool, man. <laughs> Let me tell you. That's awesome. I'm a lucky guy. That's good yeah. stuff. Good stuff. So you, you got to study in New York. I did. Um, right. Not at a school or anything. Yep. But um, I – With some teachers. Yeah, yeah. After – after the con finished, I knew that I had to I had to go check it out at the source. Okay. You know, I was such a big jazz head and um, you know, you just look at who's playing at the Vanguard or the fifty five bar or Fat Cat or anything, and it's just lists of all my favorite drummers, all my favorite musicians. So I'm like, right. I gotta get a piece of this. So me and and three other guys that were in my year at the con, we all went over together and we stayed the first month. I was there for two months. The first month it was all four of us. We stayed in a little studio apartment, so four beds in one tiny little room for a month. But we loved it. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And I and I, I saw at least a gig a night, sometimes two, sometimes three gigs. Right. Every night while it was there, I was there. It was that was life changing. You know, some of the most incredible musicians, incredible experiences mm-hmm. on that trip. Um, and the other great thing was the second month. I was there. I was by myself. All those those guys went home, but I wanted right. I wanted two months, and I actually loved being there on my own for a month. Yeah, really. Know? I actually I actually really loved being on my own. You know. Yeah. Yep, yep. And so then I could go see exactly what I wanted to see. You know, because obviously we'd be we'd start the day and go, okay, what are we going to see tonight? Because we want to do it all together. Yeah. And sometimes we'd split off into two of us to go see one gig, and then the other two would see the other gig, and then we'd meet at a jam later in the night. Mm. But I knew if I was there for a month, I could see whatever I wanted. Yeah. You know, and I did. I, I heard the Roots play as well, so it wasn't really? just jazz stuff, but I heard the Roots. They were, they were playing at Radio City, um, and that was sensational. Just heard, heard just so much incredible stuff, and got to got to study with some great. Great drummers like Kenny Washington and, and Clarence Penn were two of the big ones. Mm. Rodney Green and um, and I've I've been back two times since then as well. Right. I, the last time I went was 2011. Can't afford it now. I've got kids. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah. So over the years I've gone back and each time just spend at least a month there and just so say so just so starting with Jimmy Cobb as well and wow. um, just just but just one offs you know and just yeah, Juliana yeah, yeah. and and all sorts of, you know, hanging with Al Foster and, um, you know, sitting sitting at the Vanguard and you're, you're one foot away from Bill Stewart, you know, playing at the Vanguard. It, right. It's like it's, it's, you know, the guys you idolise in recording or YouTube clips mm. and you're that close. Um, so that was that was special, really special that, that time, especially the month by myself. That was yeah, that was really cool. You know, lo- lonely as well in, in yeah, periods. Yeah, I'm sure. I gotcha. But I actually really liked doing my own thing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and seeing what I wanted to see, and yeah, it was great because um, I was definitely I was still young and impressionable, and just wanted to soak it all up. And I was just so into this music, and it was all there. I could walk to it. Yeah, you know, right. From one place to the other. Right. You know? New-, New York was always the mecca. That I was idolized it. I knew I had to go and check it out firsthand. Um, and I'm so glad I did. And as soon as I as soon as I left, I had to go back, right. and check it all out again. I can't wait to go back again. I don't know when it'll happen. Yeah. Probably when the kids are grown up and left mm. home. But that's mm. that's fine. I've had I've had my stint and right. Yeah, it was really really special. Awesome. Um, now you played with the Sydney Symphony Orchestra. You you did a live to tape. Yeah, live thing. to film. Yeah, right. 
We did a couple. That just thinking about that scares the fuck it shit scared, out of me. That, it scared that's me just too. High man. anxiety and oh and, yeah, um, it it certainly was. How did that come about? Um, how much sort of lead up did you have to it to learn the stuff? Had you re- did you get much rehearsal? Yeah, well, mm. there was there was a fair bit of of lead up, which was good. So the first one I did was the La La Land live to film, right? Which is which has got you know that there are a lot of jazz songs in there. So Brett Hurst was playing bass and Bill Risby was on piano. Mm. Um, for that one, Carl Jewhurst was playing guitar, mm. and and so there was a, a real jazz jazz element to that. So the charts themselves weren't overly difficult. But the pressure came from being on the stage with with the SSO, like right. And when when that orchestra goes for it, and you're sitting on the stage with them, it feels like the the whole the stage is rumbling or something. Yeah, like yeah. and and these guys are at the peak of their art, and I get right. to sit here right. and play with them. You know that was that was really cool. But the thing about the the playing live to screen, because obviously the vocals and obviously the movie is all on the screen yeah. and then just the music is what we're playing live. Right. So to have it sync up to screen, it's got to be to click track, right. obviously, mm. but it's a moving click track. It's not in one place. Yep. It's constantly changing in tempo yep. because that's because it wasn't recorded to click track. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. But they have to put it to click yeah. and it's always moving. And so like like the charts, there was some tricky, definitely tricky stuff in the charts, but There'd be a there'd be one random bar where they're over the top. There'd be plus thirteen because the tempo had will go up thirteen BPM in that bar. And if you miss it, you're stuffed because if you get out from the click, you're out from the vocals, and then you're out of sync from the movie, mm. and you're stuffed. Basically, that 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 means they have to press pause. We have to start the song again, and it's all my fault. Yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. because <laughs> the because the orchestra they told me yeah that. Because the, where they all have the click in their ears, right? But they all they don't want to listen to a click, so none of them used them. They said, "No, no, we'll just listen to you." Yeah, gotcha. So if I get it wrong, <laughs> this is the SSO, right? Right. And yeah. La La Land wasn't too bad. There right. were some hairy moments because you know odd times or when tempo changes like that. I had to like, I had to practice just the tempo changes to know what plus thirteen BPM feels like. Like, how do you feel that? Yeah, you know, that that was one thing. So La La Land was was tricky. Was great fun, but. Doing Mary Poppins, that was the hardest thing I've ever done mm. because I thought, you know, playing playing Mary Poppins live to film, great. It was one of my favourite movies as a kid. I've mm. seen it 50 times probably as a kid. I could do this on my ear. No, no, no not, not at all. The charts are incredibly difficult and they're fast. It's all that fast, really fast, but yeah. with odd time bars thrown in. Plus I had to do a whole bunch of extra percussion yeah. on top. I've I've got a fo- you probably saw the photo. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the kit. Yeah, I yeah, wanted right. to talk. Yeah, so um, I wood blocks, jam blocks, wood blocks, and jam blocks. Yeah, and, yeah, and and that's. But there was a full. There was a four piece percussion section plus drum kit. The, oh, right. the 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 percussion part is that big, you know. Right. And and it's not like a, a like La La Land. I can because it was a jazz thing. I can you know I could play. I could do different comping, different things. This is all charted out to the every note has to be exact. Right. You know, plus the 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 roving click. You know, so the click changing constantly. So if I and the, the orchestra doesn't have the click in there is. So if I miss a beat, we're done basically. Right. So like I had a I had a month of lead up time, so I just shattered it for a month. I absolutely right. shattered Mary Poppins because and because we only had a day and a half of rehearsals okay. to get it right, 
Um, and obviously the orchestra, they didn't need to shed it because they're pros, yep. you know. Although talking to, to Rebecca, she was the principal percussionist, she was a bit nervy on it too because the percussion mm. part is serious, like it's full mm. on. It's e- easily one of the hardest things I've, I've ever done. Mm. So because it just have, has everything full on about it. Like you're at the opera house, right? The opera house comes to school, playing with one of the best orchestras in the world. Yeah. They're not listening to this roving click. They're, they don't want to hear it. They're relying <laughs> on you, okay? Even the conductor's relying on you because right. the conductor's got to follow the click. Yeah, that's the it. The conductor's not listening to the click. Yeah. I'm the one with the click. Yeah. If I stuff this up, the, the concert ends basically. Right. They have <laughs> to stop and start it again. <laughs> So I was feeling that pressure. So I had to really shed it to try and get it right. But it, it went felt like it went really well. A couple of the songs are just so hard. Like I, was, I thought it would be easy. I was wrong. Like it was yeah. easily the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah, right. On stage. Right. But but you get to play at the opera house with the SSO, man. It's like That's something it else. You just it's that rump. Yeah, think, the rumble you're talking hearing about. that rumble. Right. Like there's a couple. Like there's a few instances where there's no no drums. So I just get to sit there and listen to them play. And you might think, oh, it's just Mary Poppins, just a movie thing. Like, man, you hear this orchestra go, and and it's a big orchestra. Like the orchestra for Mary Poppins was huge. So we barely are, fit on the stage. Where are you sitting in relation to? Well, the the percussionists are on the right at the back on huge risers. Yep. But they wanted me pretty much in the middle. Right. Um, and close to the conductor because yep. we had to really work together to make yep. sure we were with the with the click. Yep. So I was away from them. But I was able to get them in my ears. Yeah. And I was, but also I was surrounded by perspex because I had cellists right there, you know. Right. And some of these songs I have to hit it, you know. Yeah. And they're going to go deaf, and then I'm going to be able to hear themselves. Yeah. So I'm covered in perspex, which is another weird sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. But I also have my own movie screen, okay. So I could, so I could sync, up, make sure we're syncing up gotcha. to the click and to the movie. And you get a countdown when you're about to come in, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But obviously it wasn't recorded a click. They had to put the click on later and it's moving all over the place. Yeah. And if you miss a beat, you're gone. So the click might be doing this, then all of a sudden it goes. Yeah. And then it's there again. Yeah, yeah. And if you miss one, you're gone. Yeah. So I felt it. I was feeling it. <laughs> but it was very, a very rewarding experience. I'm I, felt, sure. I felt like if I can get through that at least without drawing blood, then I'm, <laughs> I'm, do a, anything, I'm right? okay. Yeah. I'll, be, I'll be all right, yeah. I think. Because, yeah, when I, when I read that in your bio, I just got anxious thinking about it. Eh? I was anxious. Yeah. I was sweating. I yep. was sweating buckets. But the, the, I actually, I mean, I liked having the month to really work on something and there was an end point. I knew once I, because we did three shows and mm. I knew once the third show was done, that's it. I can relax. I can let it. Right. I can let it go. Because you know, when you practice something, like you're practicing your paradiddles, you'll practice paradiddles from now to the end of time. You know, mm. but if you've got a gig to work towards, you know, you've got an end point. Mm. And I really like that when I'm working on something. I know I've got to really work hard from it now. But from this date, I'll never have to look at it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which it. is a good sort yeah. of feeling. So I've got to yeah. nail it for these three shows. Mm. But once it's done, that's it's it. Gone. I'll go back and play summertime, man. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, and I can relax. You know. Yeah. 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 Um, so I have a relatively new segment on the show. Um, I have a Spotify, well, the podcast has a Spotify playlist and up till fairly recently, it's just been filled with songs that, um, my guests have played on or their songs or, so what I've started doing is asking my guests, you get to choose one song and that one song has had the biggest 
impact or influence on you. So I want you to tell us what that song is now and, and let's talk a little bit about that song and why it's had that influence and that impact. Okay. Um, so so the song, first of all, Total Praise by Richard Smallwood. And it wasn't so much about, it, it certainly wasn't a, a recorded version of this um, by any means. Uh, I mean, when you, when you asked me about about this, I immediately went to this song mm-hmm. and and the experience I had that's, or was having. That's the whole point at of the time. It. I went to it straight it just, away. Yep. But I I kind of didn't want to. I almost didn't want to tell you. I didn't want to talk about it because mm-hmm. it was quite a personal yep. thing for me. And it also it, it also made. I mean, it's probably coming from my own insecurities. Also, felt a bit lame and a bit naff to talk about it, about it perhaps. But I thought, no, nah, if I'm going to do this, let's go all in, right? If so, you're gonna, if you're gonna name your band Furthest Four, okay, you got to keep bringing that up. I should oh. just call it FF, right? That could have stood for anything, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so I thought, no, 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 I'll let's we'll be honest about it. But it was a very so th- this song. It's about when I when I first heard this song, Total Praise, and I didn't know what it was called. I'd never heard it before. It was my f- the first trip to New York during that month um, when I was on my own. Um, I was it was a Sunday night. I was at the Village Underground in the in the West Village, and they, they have an open mic night every Sunday, and have done for for ages. Um, and it was the f- the first time I'd ever been there, and I, I, w- I was there on my own. The room was absolutely packed, and the open mic thing. It's a big sort of a gospel. Uh, singer kind of thing, and, and with mm. a house band where different singers can get up and mm. sing, mm. and um, the house band is insane. The drummer is Nathaniel Townsley, you know, mm-hmm. who's played with Tina Turner and a whole bunch of whole bunch of people. Phenomenal gospel drummer, and the whole the whole night, it just song after song was just phenomenal, incredible singer. And and the front little table uh, at the at the venue was full of, I think, regulars, but also phenomenal singers that would sing backing vocals for whoever got on stage to sing a song. And then I think it was towards the end of the night, I was having a great time just by myself, a few beers, listening to incredible mm. vocalists, incredible music. And then mm. someone, I don't, it was a, it was a, a woman, I don't know who she was, phenomenal African American um, singer that got up and sang "Total Praise." I didn't know what it was called. She just started singing. It. And and it's a kind of song. It's an old. It's a gospel song. And maybe it's coming back from my Baptist roots. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But the song just builds and builds mm. and builds and builds some more. And when you think it can't build anymore, it just keeps building. And that intensity and the dynamics in it, like, just shocked me right to my core. Like mm. maybe it was because I was by myself, or mm. um, I was in New York, you know, miles away from home. Mm. It, was, it was probably all the contributing factors. But it was so the sound. I'll never forget the sound of it. I I couldn't understand why the roof wasn't being blown off. Like surely, surely you know structural things cannot stand when this sound is is happening. Right. Than what I was hearing on stage. It was it was huge. It was loud. The the gospel choir backing vocals was just it was visceral. It was like I've I've you know I've heard some things close to it, but never anything quite like it. Right. Like I honestly thought there would be an earthquake. Because right. this sound was so huge, right. and she was singing this song, and and it builds and builds and builds, and then it comes down, and then they go to the amen reprise at the end, and that's something else, and that's something, yeah. something else, and it, but it, and I've never told anyone this ever. Right. It was a real personal 
thing for me. When they sang that Amen reprise, I was I was floored. Yeah, you know? like I, I I wasn't exactly bursting into tears or anything, but I I realised at that moment that I'd, I had heard the most beautiful thing I'd ever hear. Yeah, in yeah. my entire life. And this is not necessarily for the for the people listening now. This is not necessarily a spiritual thing. No, not at all. It wasn't. It was a, a musical, an actual musical thing. It was a and, powerful. Musical and what you're thing. listening to now is not the actual version Tim heard. But this it was the closest thing I could find. This is the closest find. thing you could find. The and closest thing. If you listen to this, and it's also in the in the, the playlist now, listen to the whole thing. And like Tim said, it, it builds and builds, and then it does come down, and it gets to the Amen section. Amen. And you yeah. wait till those harmonies hit you. And, oh, man. It's, and that band, it. that band the starts band. playing, and that bass player starts hitting that low B. Like, and it's, they're going for it's it. something else. Every yeah. instrument is going for it. Yeah. And because on, on that recording, yep. you can hear they go, they finish it. They go for the big amen, the big chord at the end, bang, yeah. it finishes. Then they go for the reprise. And the band do it again. Yeah, and they go in again. Yeah, yeah. But then they fade. Fade it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but on the gig, they went. The, they did the A main section three times. Right. And every right. time it got bigger and bigger right. and bigger. Yeah. I'd never heard anything like it. Right. It was, I was absolutely floored. Like, it, it it just shows, it just reiterates to me the power of music and what it can do, yeah. especially when you see it in a live format. Right, you know? right. It, and it was sort of like I'd never heard the song before. I didn't know what it was, you know. Mm. I'm a metalhead. It was had nothing to do with <laughs> heavy, heavy metal. Yeah, yeah. Ja- I played jazz music. Yeah. You know? It had nothing to do with that, yeah. you know. Yeah. It was purely the sound and the sheer emotion that it was played mm. and sung with. Mm. It, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah. And the whole room just jumped to its feet and just screamed at the end in applause and rapture right. at the sound. And it, But it, and then they reprised it again. They went at it again. Right. And they went at it again. And every time it got bigger and bigger and I thought, okay, I better get out of here or the walls <laughs> will cave in because yeah. I don't know how this sound can actually be centralised inside a yeah. confined space. Yeah. So... Had nothing to do with drumming, really. Nothing to do with metal. No, no, nothing to do no, with no. jazz. Just it was just power. That's the whole point of this exercise: is finding that song that had that impact. So yep. thanks for sharing that. Like you said, that's the first time you've yeah never told, told that, me. and I, yeah. I never knew what the song was called, and I, I didn't ask anyone. So and so okay. and so for two years, I didn't know what it was called, mm-hmm. and I and I I didn't even know because I couldn't I couldn't even really hear exactly the lyrics that they were singing except mm. for the Amen. I could just hear the power. Yeah. Um, and so when I went back to New York two years later, I went back to the Village Underground every Sunday to see if someone would come and sing the song again. Oh, and wow. one week I was there with my friend, Mark Palmer, he was mm. there with me. Mm. One week they sang it. Right. Someone sang it. And it was the same experience, not as big because obviously the first time you see yeah. it, it gives it to you. Yeah. Um, but afterwards I went up to the, the person who sang and I said, what is that song called? Mm. And then I found out what it was called and then, it, you know, and then I was like, okay, I need, to find, I need to somehow find a version that I can listen to. And I've never found one that comes close really. I mean the one, the one you're playing now is close but it's the live experience. It was, and it was, it was everything. It was being in New York. It was being by myself. It was right at the end of the trip, like one of the most life-changing experiences I've had, mm-hmm. um, going to New York and really getting into the music. It was all of that combined, plus where I was, plus who was singing, plus, you know, it's the, it just had, it had a huge effect. So, awesome, man. Yep. No one's ever heard that story. There's three people now. Well, the third person's myself because I'll hear it when I edit it. Mm-hmm. So. 
because nobody listens to this podcast. No, 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 of course not. Oh, you do. Except me. You do, yeah. 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 And I'll, I'll enjoy listening to myself. <laughs> Talk stupid crap. <laughs> yeah. No, that's cool, man. Tim Firth, man, thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, Absolute pleasure, man. It's just, yeah, it's just great to sit here with you, man, and, and chat. And oh, mate, my pleasure. Talk drums and music. and um, My pleasure. I'm a big fan of the podcast, mate. Keep thank doing, you, man. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank Please you. don't stop. Will you listen to this one? What Would I listen to what? This Th- one? This one, yeah. I don't like the sound of my own voice, but I can. <laughs> I will. I've got to get through Zoe Hartman's one first. Oh, that's I, right. I'm, I'm, a, bit, I'm right. a bit behind. I'll, I'll get there. You're getting no, there. I'll get there. You're getting there. Yeah, um, yeah bro. Thanks so much. Um, hope things get back to normal soon and – it's really well. Thanks, Come out mate. and watch you play and we'll catch up and have a beer again. Sounds good. Yeah. Cheers, Wicked. mate. Cheers, boat. Later, man.